Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that eventually ends but always comes back again. We are now in the year 2020. I have been doing this show in some form or fashion, I think, since 2005 or 6. Um, I've had people like Gino Atkins and uh, on a Chris Gokong. Um, gosh, I think we had Eric Winston on when we first started, way, way back. The show was originally called The Fastest 40 in Sports. It's uh, eventually morphed into this, feeling a draft, which has been known as um, it migrated between Block Talk Radio and Talk So it started on Talk Show, then went to Block Talk Radio when I had Ben Albright, who's now doing big things in uh, Colorado uh, on Sports Talk Radio. Uh, I've had Todd Smith as a co-host. I've had um, the guy who now is the director of, of football recruitment for Rice Football, Alex Brown, has been a co-host. Uh, Marcel Harding has been doing big things with um, the football operations down at uh, Wake Forest. Has been a co-host in the past. Donovan Bra- uh, Donovan, uh, not Brown, good God, Donovan uh, James. Sorry, Donovan. Donovan James, who is killing it in the recruitment world now, um, high school recruitment world. Been a former co-host. Uh, me not, Smith, uh, Jim Cover, right? Uh, Jim Etrix. and. Nolan has come and gone over the years. Uh, he, he and I have known each other back since Steve Martin brought us on to staff at Kazoo's Draft Services. He's our Oklahoma insider. Uh, so, first of all, Happy New Year, Nolan. How's everything going? And I think uh, I think this is going to be a better one than the last two. So, so far, so good. Well, there we go. There we go. Let's claim that one. Let's do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good for that, too. Uh, both of us have had some personal upheavals in the last, uh, yeah. <laughs> Move it on. That's a whole other show. I have to come on later at night, and we'll have to drink for that one. Um, right. <laughs> but this is, this, this is my favorite time of year. Um, Obviously, college football is over in the sense of actual college teams playing each other. But for guys who are draft eligible, this is it. I mean, this is the final exam, right? Uh, some of them literally have finished school. Some of them, you know, may have not finished the education part of it, but have finished the football part of it at the collegiate level and ready to start getting paid, uh, which is always exciting. So uh, I have connections or people that I know uh, who are associated with some of the All-Star games out there. Uh, shout out to Rick Saratella and all the guys at NFL Draft Bible who have been working with uh, the NFL PA Bowl to help put together their roster. Uh, I have friends and colleagues who are associated with things with the College Gridiron Showcase and uh, forgetting. Um, you know, I know some people, sort of know some people at Shrine, and I'm working on 
getting people at the senior bowl. That's when I can die happy. But uh, I don't have that yet, but I'm working on it. Jim Nagy seems open to talking to me, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, this is it, man. This is where guys get that last shot, the you know, that last chance to make that quote-unquote first impression. They've watched a bunch of your tape. They've come to your practices. But the books aren't closed yet. Uh, I've seen guys, I mean, E.J. Manuel is a great example. So I was down at Mobile watching people fall in love with E.J. Manuel, and I was like, did you not watch him play through his entire collegiate career? Like, don't get fooled. Like, this is, <laughs> I don't want to say fool's gold, but he looks the part. He's got a strong arm. He's, he knows what defense he's facing on every single snap. He should look amazing. Go back and look at the tape. Anytime he's not sure what he's seeing, bad things happen. So I think sometimes we'll over-evaluate this time of year, but it is important. Uh, and I've also seen guys, you know, get hurt, you know, uh, not hurt, hurt. I mean, some of get hurt, hurt, like actually injured. But, um, you know, a guy who's a terrific run-blocking guard, you know, keeps getting demolished in pass-blocking one-on-ones or whatever, and guys start saying, well, I'm not sure about his feet. Well, that's not what he does anyway, you know. Like, that's not his thing, right. you know. He's going to match people in the run game. And he'll get good enough. And he'll get help from NFL guys. And he'll scheme stuff up so that he's, when Aaron, he's not going to be one-on-one on Aaron Donald, right, because that would be bad. You'll get him some help. Uh, so sometimes things get over-evaluated, but it's important. Um, and shout-out to Oklahoma. Now, obviously, they've been a bridesmaid and not the bride, but uh, I don't think people realize how hard it is to be one of the final four teams and to do it more than once. It's hard to do it once. I mean, I challenge LSU to do it again next year, you know what I mean? Like, it's very impressive we do this year, do it again. Uh, it is super hard. I think Clemson has a very good chance to be there again. Alabama will probably be back because, if not, Saban's going to start murdering people. Um, I'm half kidding. Um, I mean, not physically murdering them, but with his mind probably, you know, imagining killing people. Um, and there'll be some new team. I mean, maybe maybe you'll have to get back there again, but I think I'm going to go out on, I don't think, a big limb and say I think at least two of the teams that were in the Final Four won't make it back. I think that at least one different team, maybe a Pac-12 team, that'd be exciting and new, um, makes it in. Um, and, you know, what the heck, people forget. You know, out past Colorado, they're still playing football. They just can't seem to play it, you know, towards the end of the year um, or the beginning of next year. I guess it's in next year. So let's start with Oklahoma. Uh, terrific program. They have a great head coach. They've managed, apparently, to hold on to their coach. You know, the last couple of years, people have tried to send their coach to other places using the NFL. Um, I think it's notable that Lincoln Riley has done everything. Of course, people always assume they're lying, but there's everything he can to put water on all these people trying to send him to various NFL teams, but no one seems to believe him. Uh, let's start with him. Obviously, I mean, I remember Lincoln Riley back in his days at East Carolina uh, before he was, you know, the most interesting man in college football. Always been a really good mind. He really understands what his quarterback can do and cannot do and does a great job of helping him do things they can do even better and gets them better also some things that they're not pretty, pretty good at, but he really does a great job of minimizing the number of times they're asking the thing that they're, that they're not good at. Uh, tell me what you've noticed about Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. Because you watched them, obviously, under Stoops. And I guess you probably remember them under Barry Switzer and then 
sort of that darkness period where they had guys like uh, Gibbs and uh, John Blake and who's the other? Thank you. Uh, yes, yeah, thank you. See, I mean, I have I I have trouble that's remembering that topic. Right. Um, so tell me how this version of Oklahoma football feels to you when you think about it versus, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. Well, and, and what you're just talking about as far as um, molding himself to his quarterback, I don't think, I don't think that um, any there's ever been any better example of that than this year. Um, yep. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just plays. I'm watching them, watching games, and there's plays that have been bread and butter for the last three or four years that they ran once or twice this year, and then they scrapped it. I mean, it was just um, – it was either due to, you know, the offensive line issues or just the fact that Jalen – that wasn't a throw Jalen could make or it wasn't a read that they wanted him to try and make. And so there's some things that, you know – I'm watching. I'm watching the last four or five games, and I just thought, man, if we could run this here that we ran with Baker, that would be, you know, it'd be so much better. But I mean, we just couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's funny to think. I was watching, um, you know, Jimmy Johnson's little Hall of Fame uh, prize induction last week. So was Troy Aikman up in the booth crying, and I'm just sitting there thinking back to when Troy was brought to Oklahoma under Barry Switzer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the perfect. And Switzer made him all those promises. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking about, you know, Phil Troy Eggman breaks his leg, he's our quarterback. And he, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was not good. And obviously, <laughs> no. it paid off for him and it paid off for Oklahoma. But yeah, it's just Lincoln has this amazing ability to to emphasize the good and hide the bad. Yes. And, um, and definitely. As the old song says, you know how to, uh, yes. You know, you can definitely see that, like I said, especially especially this year. Um, you know, we'll talk about Jalen probably a little bit or a lot, but, um, you know, you could still see even, this is the first year I've noticed Lincoln coaching his quarterback's techniques so late in the season still. Um, yep. Just being there, just being there watching the watching the game, and you know they're playing Baylor, and I'm looking at the sidelines, and Lincoln is still trying to show Jalen about footwork and um, you know some pretty basic principles that I wish Jalen would have got yep. there a little sooner, so some of this could have got down pat better. Right, or that Alabama understood how to coach quarterbacks, whichever. But um, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, let's be honest. There's a reason there hasn't been, of course, that'll change very soon, but there hasn't been an Alabama quarterback drafted in the first two rounds in, was it was Richard Todd the last one? I think Richard Todd might have been the last Alabama quarterback to be drafted in the first two rounds. That was 1970, what, six, five? I mean, I was a kid yeah. the last time an Alabama quarterback got drafted in the first two rounds, and there's a reason for that. Uh, for a long time, they probably didn't care. I mean, they wanted a guy who had a good pedigree, you know, good winning program, four or five star, but not that he planned to do anything. 
you know, I mean, like, it's good to have a quarterback who looks good and, you know, capable of a good program. We're not planning to do anything with him, though. You're going to hand the ball off, kid. Get used to it. Yeah. Um, and occasionally we'll get a smart guy like McElroy and we'll say, well, there's some smart guy things with you, but don't, you know, don't get it twisted. You're not going to be here to show off your ability to drive the ball down the field or make difficult throws or make, you know, I mean, they, it, part of it is because the kind of quarterbacks they like, let's be honest. It's been right. more important until very recently until very recently, hey, I want a kid that's not going to mess it up, right? Can he make big make, make plays? Eh, I don't care about that. I want a guy that when I say, you know, we need to – we get a 10-point lead, help us keep a 10-point lead, right? That's what we're about there. We play good teams, we get a 10-point lead and keep it. We play bad teams, we get a 50-point lead, and, you know, once again, just don't set the house on fire. Now right. – the world has slowly but surely caught up a little bit to Alabama, where they no longer have this, this, this – the gap is narrowed. Uh, this year, the gap disappeared, in fact. But the gap – I think the gap has been narrowing slowly but surely for the past few years. It just wasn't noticeable as much. This, this year, it was made obvious. That I've, I've been saying this for a while, and people have been looking at me like I'm crazy. But I've been saying, I, I really believe, like, you know – like with the Patriots, I've been saying it for years. I'm telling you, the, the gap is there, and people are catching up. And the appeal is a bit crazy. But this year, it became clear to everybody, um, even beyond Tua getting hurt, they didn't have the same kind of defense that they usually have. They didn't have the same. Their offensive line is good, but it's not. I mean, there have been years where if they're a starting quarterback. If John Parker Wilson went down, I mean, no offense, but do you think that would have mattered? Uh, if, if, if uh, you know, once again, no offense to Greg McElroy, but, I mean, if, if he gets hurt, do you think they don't win the national championship? Come on, people. Um, they just would have said, well, we'll run the ball more, which we were playing right. a lot anyway. We'll add a few more runs. It'll be fine. So, right. finally, I mean, they got to the point where they needed the quarterback to win them some games, and then he got hurt. Yeah. So, that's what I noticed. I'm excited about yeah. I'm pretty excited about Mike Leach going back into that conference myself because, yes. uh, you know, yes. if you look statistically and around 98 when Bob Stoops came in the Big 12, the Big 12 was the defensive league. And yep. you know, Oklahoma Oklahoma was uh, the fifth-ranked defense in 2000 and third in their conference. Like that's a stat that I think – People below a certain age would think you were lying. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think people below a certain age can understand what we're talking about. Right. I mean, I mean we're, 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 we're fifth in the nation in 2000, and Kansas State and Nebraska are still ranked ahead of us in total defense. <laughs> so. Right. I mean, look at the names of some of the coordinators who were making a, making a living in the Big 12 back in that day. It's a, bunch of, it's a who's who. There's some really great coordinators making a living in um, um, uh, uh, you had Akina and Chizik, uh were, yep. were down at Texas, right? Uh, you had um, oh, who was Oklahoma's coordinator then? Um, I can see him in my mind, but can't his name. Well, there for a while, you had the Ryan brothers, Rob and Rex, were in uh, OU and OSU. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was, and, and that was and that was before, and that was before Mark and. Uh, Venables came down from Kansas State. Right, Venables. Everyone's been a young 
coach. He's aged very well. He still looks fairly young, but he's not, you know. But I remember when Brent Venables was like a young I mean, he, I mean, people talk about how energetic and excitable he is now. I thought he was going to literally, like, tackle somebody, like, come out on the field. When he was a young oh, coordinator, yeah. that guy, come on, come on, coaching through your players. Woo! That guy coached. Here's the stat for you is uh, John Blake last year, Oklahoma went 4-8. and eight. We were – Sixth in the country in total defense with uh, with Rex wow. Ryan, and we were a hundred and seventh in total offense. <laughs> like I said, the world is a very, it's a very different place now, isn't it? Huh. And, and so huh. we, we bring we, we bring Mike Mike Leach comes to Norman comes into the conference. Yep, he leaves after one year and goes to Texas Tech. Well, now you got two teams running spread offenses now. And then right, and Sumlin was cooking up some stuff too when he took over. Yeah, and then slowly but surely, within by two thousand five, two thousand six, the Big Twelve has gone from a defensive first run first uh, league to what it is right now. And I blame it all on Mike Leach. And uh, <laughs> and so I'm hoping something happens in that. I, I don't disagree. I hope something happens in the SEC this year where they all start run spread offenses and forget to play defense somehow. <laughs> right. Well, that's what you would – I mean, it's interesting you should mention that because LSU has traveled from a similar path. And if you look at the LSU in those same years you're talking about as you – I mean, they, they, were, they were a top ten defense almost every year with John Chavis for uh, – it seems like forever – for a very long time, and, uh, you know, obviously Alabama has always played good defense. Auburn usually had good defenses. And, yeah, offenses were the issue. And then um, Malzahn, to a certain extent, uh, you know, sort of changed a few things. Uh, though his – the misconception is that his offense is a – I mean, it's, there's some spread concepts, but, it, I mean, I don't know if I'm – you know, revealing state secrets or something, but his offense is really just a, a sexy up version of wing T. I mean, really, right. that's actually what it is. It's like a super sexy. It's like, I mean, it is lots of stuff going on, lots of motion, lots of, you know, what they call window dressing and dessert topping and whatever you want to call it. But it's really like the heart of the heart of his offense is wing T. Like, if you really look at it, there's a lot of butt sweeps and stuff. Like, wait, wait a second. What year is this? And people feel like it was this new, exciting thing when they saw Balzon's offense. Like, mm. if your dad played football, ask him how much of this he recognized. Because I bet your dad will recognize, like, 60% of this offense if your dad played football in the 60s or 70s. Um, right. And I used to hop so over to spring. Still, Malzahn. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I said, you know, before he went to oh. college ranks, I'm going to hop it over to Springdale, Arkansas, and watch his teams play. And, yep. And, uh, and he was the toast of Arkansas, and it was just like, man, this is a very nice wing tee offense. Yes, correct. <laughs> right. It's just prettier, sexier, you know, stuff going on to kind of make you look this way when you should be looking that way. But if you can't run the ball in Malzahn's offense, you're toast. Like, that's the thing that people sometimes don't seem to realize. If you can't run, like, that's not a throw the ball around 50 times offense. You, somebody's got to run. If your running backs can't run, your quarterback better run, as, as we saw when they had success with Cam. But somebody, 
needs to be able to run the football. You, if you need four yards, you better get it. You better get it on the ground because that offense is not designed for you to just. It is not what Mike Leach is doing. It's not what the kid, what they're doing in Hawaii with run and shoot. It's not. It's not just nothing like that. The the actual passing. And once again, I hope I'm not you know telling any tales out of school, but the actual passing part of Malcolm's offense is pretty. Simple, rudimentary, uh, I don't know, pick a term. Um, uh, not at all unfamiliar to, like I said, people who watched football 50, 60 years ago will recognize a lot of the passing game. It's, you know, there's some Y-pop passes that are kind of, you know, cute the way they disguise them, and they've got some nice play-action concepts, but it's, it's not spread them and shred them. You know, that's not what it is. So... When people talked about Malzahn and things like that, I was like, okay, it's cool and everything, but this isn't revolutionary. You know, this is this is kind of old school, really. It's just old school put in, you know, a new package. So if indeed Mike Leach goes in there and, you know, I mean, we had a lot of pro-style stuff, you know, going back to the days when Cutcliffe and other people were designing offenses, and they could score on you. I mean, fun and gun could definitely score on you. Um, but even the fun and gun is still, you know, essentially a quote-unquote single-back pro style. It's very similar to, well, similar to what a lot of NFL teams run and have been running, but it's still based in, we still need our, our a lot of three, five, seven-step stuff still under, I mean, still under center most of the time. Uh, we, once again, we still would like to run the football. I mean, they don't run the football as much as they used to, but uh, back in the, you know, you know, triple option days or whatever, but but there's a lot of, you know, sort of old school now. I mean, it was present school, I guess is what it was. It still was very similar to what had been going on for a while just in other parts of the country. You know, Stanford and and Purdue would look at that stuff and they're like, well, that's, you know, Tulsa. Tulsa would look at that. We were doing that in 1964. You know, what, what are you talking about, revolution? We, literally, we were, Jerry Rome was doing that stuff in 64. What are you talking about? So um, he just was bringing, he was, he was bringing the SEC sort of up to, you know, the 20th century. That's what he did. The thing, they, were, they were living, you know, in a, sort of in the past, offensively at least, in the SEC for a long time. Now they're going to get kicked into the 21st century because there's some things that he could – his whole thing is basically making safety lives a living hell, right? Um, he's going to right. make you change up how you recruit. You're saying – you just said this. Like how – it's not that you forget how to play defense. that you're not – able to build your defense the same way. I mean, Saban, likes Belichick, likes huge people, right? I'm going to put two 300-pounders in the middle of my defense, and then I'll find some edge rusher types, right? And I'm going to have big linebackers, and one linebacker can really run, but two giant linebackers, 240-something, 250-pounders, and one guy can really run, 217 to 225. And then I'm going to have big, big, big corners, right? And nowadays, you've got to play with three safeties. So I'll have a couple of big corners and uh, one big safety, two small safeties, right? That's what you got. And we'll play, we'll play four. He's, you know, I'll, I don't like playing 4-2-5. I'll play 3-3-5 three, three, sometimes. And then sometimes we'll jump into 4-2-5. And like, sometimes even we'll jump into like a 5-1, you know, like, like a dime with like a 5-1-6 kind of thing. 
I don't like doing it. I hate it. It makes me mad inside. I wish I didn't have to do it. But the world has changed in ways I don't like or understand, and I've got to do it. But if you are making your safety, who can cover a little bit, but you're making them cover all those little slot receivers, right? Danny Amendola types, all, the, all those 5'8", 5'9", 180-pound dudes, Wes Welker types. And all. I don't care if you – I don't care how many stars you got when you got recruited. That's not what you, you were built to do. Like, I mean, there's a handful of safeties in the NFL who can cover those guys. Forget college. Right. Oh, it's going to be fun to watch. And then, as the kicker, Lane Kiffin's back, baby. I'm back. <laughs> no, listen, listen. Daddy's home. I'm excited about the Egg Bowl like never before. <laughs> Kiffin versus Leach. <laughs> I can't wait for media day, dude. That's what I'm excited about. No, oh, like, I am I'm attending next year's Egg Bowl. I am I am that pumped about watching those two go head to head. Oh my God! Can you imagine I, it? Can you imagine? Like, if anything, the state of Mississippi oh, is going to have the most entertaining football of next season on the planet. On the planet Earth, there's yeah. nobody is going to be able to touch what they're because. Okay, I mean, once again, people like to take shots at Lane Kiffin, and some of them are deserved, but this dude can recruit. People forget, one, what a good recruiter is, two, what he, he's two, and then two, this guy has managed to, I mean, I will never forget that they were a missed, well, not missed, sorry, blocked field goal away from upsetting Alabama when he was at Tennessee. When Alabama was good, like, you, know what I mean? you know what I mean, like a really good Alabama team, and he was, you know, I mean, no offense, but he was doing this with Jonathan Crompton as his quarterback. No, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but Jonathan Crompton, he almost beat Alabama with an offense running through the hands of Jonathan Crompton. The guy can coach. I know it's popular to take shots at Lincoln, but I get it. And he brings some of that on himself. He's kind of a cocky douche, right? I get that. However, he can coach, and he can recruit. If you can coach and you can recruit, you can do some things, you know. I'm excited too. I too What has happened at Tennessee since he's left? I mean, if that's <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, could, I, I I was joking earlier about how um, Philip Fulmer, you know, it's like wow, Philip Fulmer, you know, I mean, bet you're missing the heck out of him. People got bored with winning nine games every year. Ah, you know, like a boy from Michigan. You got tired with winning nine games every year. Ah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't know, what's the song say? You don't know what you've got till it's gone? Well, exactly. Exactly. I think Texas Tech can say that. I think uh, Tennessee can say that. Michigan. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of programs that, that have some second thoughts now. It always I get it. I get it. Everybody wants Saban or whatever, whoever it is the the guy is. But there's one of those. If you've got a guy who you win in nine, ten games every year the good Lord sends, you might not be quite so quick to push that guy out the door. You know, Lloyd Carr is looking pretty good right about now. And I mean, I wish Tennessee luck, but I don't think they're gonna get another Phil Fulmer for a while, quite frankly. Well, I mean, look at look at Kansas and Mangino. I mean, yes, 
And here's the crazy thing, man. Gino, I mean, he's been a, uh, an assistant, but he hasn't been a head coach since. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen him around. Uh, you know, so that followed him. Yeah. So he's just yeah. taking it easy and I mean, spending he's... his money. But... Right. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, once again, I understand he's a tough coach and, you know, did some things he probably shouldn't have done, but I, I don't know. I would have taken a shot at him. <laughs> if I was a, you know, one of those rebuilding programs or one of those programs that, you know, had been down for a while, I, I'd love to call to Mark Vinge, you know, hey, how are you feeling? What's going on? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited. I know it's been a popular thing to kind of crap on USC and, 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 and Coach Helton. I don't know exactly why people hate Coach Helton with the intensity that they do. Uh, once again, is he the world's greatest recruiter? Sure, I get it. He's not. He's not the world's greatest recruiter. But look at what he's been doing with what is, I mean, not second-tier talent. It's only second-tier talent when you've got, like, the champagne, what's the old, the old saying, champagne taste but beer money. Um, right. Right now, USC fans still have that champagne taste in their mouth. They're still remembering 2003, 2004, 2005. Well, it's, that was a while back, people. Like, Matt Leinert has a kid who's in high school. Like, you need to remember that that's, that's not now. That's a while back. Like, that, yeah. And things don't stay the same. They get better, they get worse, but they, never, they don't stay the same, right? Right. If you look at where the program is now, and, hey, maybe Coach Peterson will, you know, and, I mean, I would, I would push him out the door if Coach Peterson said, yeah, I'm interested in your job. But unless you're going to get somebody like Coach Peterson or some, I mean, who, people are always excited about getting, you know, it's like the new car syndrome. Oh, I can't wait to get a new car. Well, okay, sure. But are you sure that that actually is a better car than one you have? Uh, it's right. easy to get excited about getting a new coach, right? But is that coach going to be better than the coach you have? Maybe. The thing, the thing that I keep coming back to is how quickly people want to pull the trigger on firing coaches. And are there coaches that should be fired? Oh, of course. And some of them, you know, I mean, you can't defend every coach. I mean, some coaches aren't good or aren't good enough for certain programs. But it's so easy to fall in love every two or three years with whoever the next coach is, right? And once you start down that path of being a place where there's a new coach every couple of years, it's easy to start that trend. It's hard to break. And so USC fans are, are, are desperate to fire Coach Shelton, uh, Coach Shelton, but I keep trying to tell them, once you become one of those places where people don't stay very long, Kevin wasn't there long, Sarkeesian wasn't there long, like there's gonna, you're soon going to be one of those places where people realize this isn't that good a job because who can get fired. So you need to not be that program that keeps firing people every couple of years. So if it means, oh, having to suck it up and win eight games, you know, you may want to just do that for a little while at least. So at least it becomes clear that you're willing to allow a coach, you know, at least a full recruitment group, a, full, a four-year recruitment cycle where he's going to shove him out the door. Um, well, I mean, hey, and then just while we're thinking yeah. about it, just the name that popped in my head too is Frank Solich in Nebraska. Oh, yes, Frankie Solich, thank you. Now, they think they've got the right guy, and I think they probably are right. They've got the right guy, I believe, is Scott Frost. And I think they're going to be smart and, um, and patient with him. Uh, because, one, is I think they do realize it's not as easy as we thought it was to recruit kids. These are just think, you know, we're a national recruiter. We're going to get kids from Texas and Florida and Alabama and, you know, Tennessee and anywhere. We're Nebraska. Well, that was true at one point. But these kids nowadays don't remember you guys winning national championships. You know, if they have 
you know, uncles or dads or much older brothers, maybe they can tell them about it. But, you know, the black shirt tradition doesn't mean anything in particular to most of these kids. The name Tom Osborne, unless their dad or their older brother or uncle ever been talking about it, they don't really, really know who that is. I mean, heck, at one point, Syracuse was a big-time program. I could get kids from all over the place. Ben Schwartzwater won national championship for Syracuse. Um, Coach McPherson might not win national championships, but he played in a lot of New Year's Bowls at Syracuse. Now Syracuse is just trying to get bowl eligible. And if they can win eight games, they are thrilled. And frankly, they should be. Um, it is hard to get kids to go to Syracuse. Syracuse is not super close to anything fun or sexy. Uh, you could say it's in New York, but the part of New York that kids are thinking about is it Syracuse. Syracuse is way far away from that. And it's very cold, and it really snows. It's, it's not quite Chicago level, but it's not far off. I've been to Syracuse. I, I was dating a lady who went to Syracuse. That is a fairly remote place, <laughs> quite frankly. It's a pretty place, like it, at least in the summer and spring. Uh, and I guess even pretty in the winter, if you like. Big, fluffy snow. They get a lot of that. But you can't just tell these kids that could have gone or could go to Miami or Florida State or Florida, uh, USC or Alabama, hey, you should come here because we were, you know, an absolutely killer program 30 or 20 years ago. Like, that's, that's not going to – that doesn't help you. You have to say, here's where we are now and try to rebuild. But it can't happen. Look at what P.J. Flex is doing at Minnesota. Minnesota hasn't been really, really good since, what, Holtz? I mean, no, let me think. Uh, I mean, he's got a couple of good years under Coach Brewster, but, I mean, they haven't been, a, they've been a consistently a top program in a very, 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 very long time. And right. if he manages to, you know, start threatening to win the Big Ten, it will, and it puts more pressure on, on guys who are in easier situations, like, well, look what P.J. Flex doing. Um, and once again, that's a tough place to recruit people to. It's you know, basically the top of the United States. It's super cold in the winter. Uh, they have tunnels. I don't know if you've been on the campus. They literally have tunnels connecting um, the campus underground because there's times when you can't always walk above ground. I'm not joking. Uh, so you can get from class to class underground. You know, uh, completely serious. Go, go visit someday. Um, I've been on that campus, and not all the campus, but much of the campus is connected underground because of just how brutal and ridiculous the winters are. But he's doing it because P.J. Fleck, I mean, people want culture. Like, it's a word, and now it's a buzzword in football. P.J. Fleck is, like, the embodiment of culture. Like, if you want to see a guy who knows how to implement, how to define and refine football culture, that's the guy. Like, he's, I think, the best example of it going right now. And then I think maybe the second best might be Pat Fitzgerald. Even in a down year, and this is very much a down year, I think they went 4-8, and eight, uh, but his culture, his way of building, teaching, uh, informing, and sort of shaping never changed, never wavered, is 100% the exact same. He coaches these kids the exact same way in a nine-win season as he does in a three-win season. Um, it's just fun to watch him coach. And he has a little bit of a – I'm trying to put it. I mean, I remember the player because, once again, I'm old. 
I scouted the heck out of Pat Fitzgerald. I really believe if he wanted to badly enough, he could have around the league a little longer than he did. I think he knew he wanted to coach, and, you know, after the Cowboys cut him, I think he just went straight into coaching. But, um, I mean, a lot of the old-school tough guy stuff, like, that's in him too, but he understands the kids today. Yes, you know, you know the, like, right. he understands to a certain extent what these kids are about, what they like, what they don't like. How to, he manages to communicate with them. He knows that, first of all, these kids are coming to Northwestern. I mean, some of them would like playing the NFL, but it, football isn't their whole life. Like, you don't go to Northwestern and football's your whole life. Like, that's, that's, right. that would be an antithetical decision to make. There might be kids who go to Oklahoma where football is pretty much their whole life, or Miami where football's their whole life, or Florida State, or, you know, obviously Alabama, or even USC. But if you're going to Stanford or Vanderbilt or Northwestern, you probably really love football, but you've got other things. There's other things in your life and other things that matter to you. Yeah, and you he manages to balance that. Back yeah, and he does a good job balancing that because he, he, he says, hey, final season, if you've got, you know, some of his kids are, you know, he's the one who pushes his kids to do uh, certain majors. I'm not going to name names, but there are programs where you're discouraged from having certain majors. Uh, they don't do that in Northwestern. If you're a biochemistry major and you've got to do a lab and it interferes with practice, he says, go, go do you take care of your business. You know, come back when you're done. Uh, and obviously that doesn't happen in every place. I'm not going to name any names, but I know from guys who've played at certain programs who've talked to me that they are strongly encouraged to avoid certain majors because of the, the drain, the load, the whatever you want to put on it. So uh, the that it takes away, then what to take away from, you know, what you're, what you're quote, unquote, really there to do, um, which, you know, once again, is the difference between that program, I mean, and other programs, you know. I mean, the kids at the Naval Academy, some of them are terrific football players, but, you know, football isn't the reason. <laughs> Football's not it. If you're a kid at, you know, the service academies or, like I said, you know, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, uh, Stanford, Obviously, any of the, like, Ivy League schools, there's places where you go, even if you really love football, you love football, you would play football, you'll play it at a high level, but I know that I'm going to be doing most of my life this other thing that I want to get taken care of as well. Uh, right. I'm going to get this first-class, world-class education, which is why I always have huge respect for David Shaw as well. He's another guy that doesn't steer his kids away from super difficult majors. Bryce Love is going to be a doctor, a neurosurgeon or something, I believe. But, I mean, he's, he was taking, you know, 18 hours of classes and playing football at that level. Um, and 18 hours of class and then labs on top of it and doing research on, like, what was it, like HIV prevention or something? I mean, he was doing, yeah. like, hard stuff, you know, like, like I'm a communications major. He wasn't general studies. He was doing... Uh, like uh, a double major in like public health and um, immunology or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different bunch of kids, right? So when you win nine games at Stanford, that's like winning the national championship someplace. So, I mean, you've done something. Right. And he's done that before, yeah. right? And, and that's part of why people yeah, got to set up a hardball. I've been to an Oklahoma graduation ceremony and heard the majors that 
<laughs> that our guys are graduating with sometimes. So uh, uh, I have that most respect for anybody that can uh, play football at a collegiate level and and carry on in an engineering degree or. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't know exactly what African yeah, but but I've heard that degree a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, I do know what it is. I've, I've even taught classes that are part of the program. So, uh, obviously, it's a combination of American studies, but slanted towards the experience of African Americans, also with a certain amount of history and sociology. It's usually sort of at the yeah. heart of that, that program. Yeah. And uh, what can you do with it? Teach. Uh, or a lot of people end up working in things like you know, minority student affairs. Like a lot of people go back later and get a master's in, you know, educational leadership or whatever, and then become principals or they become, um, you know, people who work, like I said, in educational, other parts of the educational world and things like that. Uh, it's right. interesting. Every once in a while you get somebody who's got a really fun, different degree, like, you know, a kid who's like a film major. And there's a few of those who played football, not a bunch, but a couple. Um, but it's funny you see those that you don't normally see. You know, like, uh, as you said, you know, these kids who are, Josh Dobbs, right, uh, was in uh, aeronautical engineering and had a, a, an internship at NASA. Yeah. So it's always, it's always cool to see that. And, I mean, he's a brilliant kid, brilliant. Uh, for some reason, it doesn't always translate to reading defensive, which shows you it's two different skills, right? Uh, otherwise, if you just look at the kids with the best GPAs on the team and just make them quarterbacks, but it's not, unfortunately, it's not that simple. Uh, yeah. let, let's get into OU, obviously. So OU has had a, a really good year. Uh, some people are disappointed. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's a great season. You had a guy come in, as you pointed in, which makes me respect what Russell Wilson did all the more. You know, you had a guy come in late, have to learn basically a whole new way of thinking, a whole new language. You're, I don't think people understand how hard it is not just to learn a new system, but to create, get the old one. That's the thing that, that impresses me, that you spent three years, four years, how many years learning this other thing, mastering it. Now you show up a little before fall camp, and then change you this whole new thing. It's like, Okay, forget all that stuff you've mastered. Is hardwired practically into your brain for the past few years, and push that out, and then slap this in, right? There's got to be times when there's a concept, a play, you know, that that like um, you know that that POD, right? Post over dig that everybody runs some version of with a, some of the wheel on the backside. Everybody has it in there. Everybody has it. Literally, everybody has it in their offense, but they all call it something different. And I'm sure right. there must have been times when he's trying to, you know, call that, and he's thinking, oh, wait, no, that's not what we call it here. Uh, like, I've, I'm incredibly impressed that he doesn't have to call time out half the time just to say, okay, what do you guys call this again? Like, it's so impressive to me. And, yeah, you're right. He didn't run the offense as smoothly as the last couple of operators of that offense, obviously. I mean, those are historical. You know what I mean? Like, right. in the history of football, those are – two of the top five quarterback performances we've seen on the planet Earth. Now we've got Joe Burrow to throw in there, Russell Wilson, right? Um, but there's a short list. I've been watching football for a long time. I've watched the end of Archie Manning's collegiate career Opus. That's how friggin' old I am. And <laughs> obviously, yeah, that's how old I am. But clearly the game has changed, right? The game is different now. 
what 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 guys like when what Plunkett was doing at Stanford. I mean, it's, you look at it now, like, dude, how did that guy hold on to the starting job? Well, the game is so different, right? Completing fifty six percent of your passes no longer makes you go, wow, you know. And the game is really really changed. Uh, if you're not completing sixty plus percent of your passes and you don't have a three to one or higher touchdown interception ratio, you might not keep your job nowadays. So at Oklahoma, you guys had to sort of splice together some things. Uh, the last few years, you've had injuries in certain positions. You had such high level of quarterback play that in past years, it's almost been almost unnoticeable, but less noticeable. This year was a little more noticeable that you guys had some, some things happen. Walk me through this season and talk to you about some of the prospects uh, that we should be excited about coming out of Oklahoma. Well, it's... Um... I think first of all, and then even just going to the, the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, I think everyone was excited. Every, well, first of all, everyone was excited about the prospect of Mike Stoops leaving. Um, that, that, in itself, that in itself was just a train wreck. Um, it was it was it was it was one honestly that from day one I was saying this is this will not work and. Um, you know, like I discussed earlier, you know, it's not 1999 anymore. It's not 2000. It's not even 2004 or five anymore. And what he wants to do will not work now. And um, I think he knew that as well. And he tried to do things that were outside of the realm of of his bread and butter. And um, so I think Alex Grinch really, um, if anybody's going to owe some things to to Alex Grinch, it, it would be just Kenneth Murray. Um, yeah, you know Kenneth Murray. Just looking at him, you know, you're talking about a a four year starter, um, a guy who would you'd look at the end of the game, you'd say, oh, he had 18 tackles. Um, but you, what you saw was him making 18 tackles, and 15 of them were after seven to eight yard runs. Um, it was he was playing, and in, in, you know Tim Kish was linebacker coach, and they had him playing. You know, just sideline to sideline, and I feel like you know you had Alex Grinch turning more, playing you know upfield more, and you saw that almost from game one. Just a guy that all of a sudden people are like, "Wow, Kenneth Murray's fast. Kenneth Murray's this," and and the things he always had, he just never had the opportunity to do. And so I am, I'm a firm believer, especially you know just from the knowledge of being a four year starter, as much playing time as he's had, uh, as much as he's been depending on. Um, you know, I think there should be a lot of excitement about what, him and what he could bring. I, you know, honestly, I think of him as a late first, second round guy, um, just for the position he plays. And and you know, he's not a fit everywhere. But um, right, I'm really, I'm really. You know where I think he did great fit is a team that, I mean, some of the teams that were loving recently picked up. <clears throat> Pick up similar guys like the two Devons, um, Art Bush and, and White are sort of similar guys. I think he could play in a classic Tampa two defense. He could play Mike, and obviously he could play that that sort of John Mobley, Ian Gold. Um, uh, uh, what's the other guy I'm thinking of um, from Michigan? Has played safety also. He's a defensive coordinator in college now. It doesn't matter. The point is that he's that he could be that running hit 
cover a little bit. You can cover running backs. You can cover uh, tight ends and sometimes slot receivers, depending on just how, you know, how explosive they might be. But he is that modern linebacker who can stay on the field when you only have one linebacker on the field. Um, I mean, there's things you don't like him doing. He's not the world's best. I mean, if guards are hitting him in the face, that's not what you want him doing. You want him catching guards for a living. I mean, that's not really – nobody wants that. But, I mean, it's not it's not his strength. I think he's, what, about 229 pounds now, something like that? Yeah, you know, they say like they say like in the two thirties. I'm thinking he's playing probably at around two twenty nine or so. Two twenty eight, two twenty nine is what he's playing at. And um Yeah, yeah which he, like at least, yeah. Right. I've seen I mean I've seen him, you know you know, struggle with fullbacks and guards and um you know, he's a guy you definitely just need running absolutely clean. But um and I think some of the things that that were going on at front this year also created that for him, but uh, yeah, um, you know, I look at a place like Dallas or or even you know Denver. Yep. As you know, yes. As somewhere that he could really shine. You know, it's kind of like a, a another OU guy, and I kind of compare it, but he he reminds me of just a, a more talented Corey Nelson, and um, had a okay. few good years there, and um. I think I think that would be you know that kind of spot like you said he could play Mike in certain Tampa twos. Um, he's a lot stronger I think than than maybe what even the weight he plays at. Uh, you know he's a weight room guy like some of these other guys are. But um, I just I don't know I just I think you know you you watch film with him this year and you just watch the first five or six games even and you compare him to any game last year and you're thinking wow who is this guy. The, the same people, the same people who hated Kenneth Murray last year, love him this year, and and it's all just honestly because he was just allowed to go upfield more and more than just running side to side. Um, I have liked his sort of pure athletic upside, even when other people sort of hated him last year. And I was very glad that he decided to come back for his final season for a bunch of reasons. One is he's physically stronger. He's being used so much better. And you, his leadership, to me, really seemed to stand out this year. And I, I mean, you would know more than I would, but I've seen, he seemed to be a more assertive player, not just in his playing style, but even in the stance he put on the way his other players around him play seemed to be, to some extent, reflect him more. Well, you know, and just, I mean, the locker, the, on the defensive side of the ball, the, the defense the last three years, especially, has just been in turmoil. And it's been hard to find on-the-field leadership when you're having so much of an internal struggle with your own coaches. And there was such, I mean, there was so much, you hear, you know, game it over and, you'd check in on players' Twitter and you'd read something and then find out later, you know, there was just things going on between Stoops and players and them fighting rumors of who said what and what actually happened. And there was just so much drama that, you know, it almost felt like a lot of the leadership just kind of set back because they didn't know how to handle it. And just it, – it, then it almost became a deal of when, when Mike Stoops was, was fired – Mid-season last year, um, 
you kind of started seeing that Kenneth Murray leadership kind of start to really form because it was the perfect storm, if you will. You know, our our guy's gone. And Ruffin, don't, I mean, let's not forget, Ruffin McNeil is a heck of a leader. Mentor, leader, like, to have Ruffin McNeil in there in that situation and to have someone like Kenneth McMurray, you know, Kenneth Murray to be able to depend on and and to just listen to, I think I think a lot of who Kenneth Murray has turned into in person can be thrown back to Ruffin. First of all, amen to that. And I, I don't want to be a broken record, but I think you could do worse than hiring Ruffin McNeil uh, for a lot of situations. Position coach, coordinator, and I hope at some point he gets another shot to be a head coach. I think, especially in the right situation, he could really, really do some good things as a head coach. So I don't know why Ruffin McNeil probably doesn't get more interviews uh, for, for, for certain jobs, at least. I, I think he's a great well, guy. I mean, and I've had, you know, I've had friends that played for him at Tech, um, and I listen to the way they talk about him even to this day. And um, even even reps, because I mean, as you start calling him rough, being around them, like you you still see the impact he has on their lives still to this day. And it, it's kind of it's pretty unique, like how much of a just a role model he's been to so many guys and the fact that he's how in depth he's still involved in their lives. And, and, um, you just, you, you didn't see a lot of that bond there until he took over said, when, when Mike left and, um, that meant a lot to him. And, and um, this, the next guy I want to come and get to, and that's, uh, Neville Gallimore, the, the defensive tackle. Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, Canada. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Good. The state of Oklahoma's had a couple of pretty darn sexy Canadians between Shuba Hubbard down there in Stillwater and, of course, Neville Gallimore. Tell me about what you know about him as a player, and obviously uh, if you know things about him as a person as well, but I, I love watching him on tape. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things, too, where, um, and I've, I've been able to confirm this, when you're at 330 pounds and you run a 476, you uh you you get noticed. <laughs> that's uh that's that's pretty well documented around the the campus there when they did their winter winter workouts. So seeing his name up on that board at that speed, um, that that's movement for three hundred thirty pounds. And he's he's much lighter now. He's lost about thirty pounds. Um, he played about three hundred two, three hundred three this season. But you know, eight hundred pound squat. Um. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna bench, he's gonna bench well for you. Um, you know, I've, I've seen him all over the, the boards. You know, I've, I mean, a lot, a lot of the boards I've seen, a lot of people think of him as like third or fourth round, somewhere in there. Honestly, I think after workouts, there you're talking about a fringe first oh, round player. No, he's not going that. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't think he makes it all the way to the first. But I don't think he gets too deep into the second, <laughs> uh, which makes yeah. me a little bit sad because I was hoping he would somehow make it to the Steelers in the second round. But from what I'm hearing about how he's going to work out, I think I think he's going to be gone early in the second. Yeah, I mean it, it's somewhere in there, and uh, I'm telling you, like you you watch some of the film, like some of the plays he made against Iowa State, and um, just some of the things he could do just getting off the football in the pass rush. Um, like if you, uh, you know, there's a particular play I was watching yesterday with him, and uh, you know, it's a passing situation, 
And his break on the football was just, you know, he's playing drill technique. But he's right over the football. But he's, he is moving. The center's hands are still, you know, he's still down like he just pushed the ball to the quarterback. And Gallimore's already between him and the guard. Uh, yes. He, he is a freak of nature athletically. Yes. And, and I think wherever he goes, I think, um, yeah. What, where's, what's Pittsburgh's pick in the second round? can't think top of my head. Yeah. I, when I think about the first, I mean, God forbid he ends up with the Bills and they stick him next to Ed Oliver. I mean, I keep hoping that that doesn't happen because <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> That's it. You can't, like, you can't block that. <laughs> you, I mean, yeah. you, if you put him next to Ed Oliver, it'd be like saying, okay, I've got Warren Sapp and I'm going to put him next to Aaron Donald. Like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I can't. The, two, the combination of speed and power in the middle of your line coming oh, off the ball, and they both get off the ball like, you know, like you – they, their get off is like it's like watching an elite level wide receiver get off. They're like it's they're they both. I mean, was it Ed Oliver ran a one six one ten yard split when he ran his forty? Something crazy, something crazy, something that would yeah. not have been bad for a slot receiver if memory serves it correctly. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if Gallimore was somewhere in that range as well. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be phenomenal. Just. Like, if there's anybody's workouts I'm just looking forward to seeing, it's his. Just, just because I know what he's done in the past just from the winter workouts, but that was at 330 pounds. And so, you know, to, to throw together a 476 at 330, um, <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, think, I think whoever is blowballing him now, that that all will be removed. Right. Uh, he, yeah, uh, he's he's a super fun watch. Right. And, you know, and I'll tell you, just honestly, some of his, and again, going back, they're not the same type of player, and just but just understanding just that kind of speed up front was, um, I'm watching I'm watching him against Iowa State, and then I'm flashing over, and I've, I've got a, a clip from uh, Alabama and, and Oklahoma from 2001 with Tommy Harris up front. Tommy Harris, yes. And I'm, I'm watching him. I'm watching him stack Brody Coyle while he's still just showing. You know, he's doing his five step drop, and he's got he's got Cruel yes. stacked in the third step. I know exactly the play you're talking about. I got to know Tommy a little teeny tiny bit, and we follow each other on Twitter. But he um, he and I have the same personal trainer, believe it or not. Um, oh wow! So uh, shout out, shout out to speaking uh, of SCN. Uh, my trainer is also of Haitian descent, last name Etienne. Um, but yeah, shout out to uh, JM. So yeah, um, Tommy at one point was trying to get back into shape to get back into football. His body just wouldn't let him. But yeah, we have the same personal trainer. So I would occasionally, I mean, I know everyone knows this. Like people, football players, we see them and we get used to. We, we when you see them up close. <laughs> like this, when you see a guy like Tommy Harris up close, and this is Tommy Harris, you know, unfortunately having come back from trying to come back from a serious back injury. I'm not seeing him in his peak form, but seeing Tommy Harris trying to get back into the, the league and seeing 
you know, even with his back problems, the amount of weight he's moving and just what he looks like up close, dude, it's like, oh, 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 no. Like, thank God I didn't get locked up with him because he would definitely get the top bunk. Uh, I'd be making him flapjacks, you know. I just wonder, what do you, what do you like? How do you like them? Um, it's, it's a whole different – these are a different brand of human from – but from us, like it's, it hits you hard when you see them up close. Like, holy crap! Oh my god! Right. Are you kidding? Um, right. And so, yes, uh, Gallimore, I'm sure, is similar. If you see him up close, it probably hits you how different he is from you. <laughs> I'm sure if you stand right there, it, it must hit you. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing too. Is and that's even just making that comparison. It's just that initial. Um, even to, you know, Tommy had the same you know, same negative, if you want to say this, thing that people say about uh, Neville Gallimore in that, you know, well, you know, they kind of disappeared at times or, you know. Yeah, I heard that. Yep. You know, they, hot you know, and they cold. Kind of, the motor runs hot and cold. The classic motor runs hot and cold thing that people say. Right. <laughs> right. But I'm telling you, when you see – when you see when you watch when you watch them both, you knew like I mean they're they're the rest of us who are humans and then there's those guys. And Yes. We can't we can't understand what it's like to be one of those guys. And, Ooh. <laughs> uh I just I, I'm telling you, I really I I think I think Neville has this great opportunity ahead of him to uh you know, I think you're probably right. Probably, you know, he's early second round. I, I'm telling you, if he works out like I think he will, there may be somebody bite on it just a step or two earlier, just because, you know, if they're blinded by numbers. Um, but yeah, um, I think he's. I think he has the opportunity to be a very special player. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of looking at the draft more the way it breaks now. Of course, we'll see what happens with the last four teams. I'm thinking about teams that could potentially, quote, unquote, fall in love. And some of them are teams that won't have a shot at him unless they trade back into, which sometimes happens. I mean, maybe the Ravens say, you know what, we got to get – because the Ravens don't have a lot of problems on defense, but they've lost that explosive game wrecker that they used to have in the middle of their – you know, Haloti Nada's not coming through the door anymore. You know what I mean? Like that guy isn't right. on their team right now. They still have a good defense. But they don't have that guy, that guy who's the game wrecker in the middle. They've got good players. I'm not saying otherwise, but they're not that guy that you stay up all night game planning for. Since Lodinata left, they haven't had that guy. And because guys like Lodinata don't come along very often, um, you can't quite find him in this draft, but he won't be in this draft. He won't be in the next one. He might not be in the next 10. But if you can find someone like Alamore, and or even somebody, I mean, there's, Obviously, people talk a lot about Derek Brown and um, Kinlaw. And to me, he's not far off those two. Uh, I think, in my mind, he's probably the third interior defensive lineman off the board. And it's, like I said, for me, I'm trying to find a home for him in the first. Uh, most of the teams that need him, or I think would appreciate him, I very put it, probably won't have a shot at, I mean, they're not, I have a feeling, like I said, it'd, it'd be like a trade back into the first kind of thing because there's guys I'm pretty sure they'd have ahead of him. Well, once again, we'll see what happens because if he works out, you know, he's got like a truly freaky, freaky workout, 
who knows? But he's an exciting player with ludicrous amounts of talent, and you get the feeling like there's more, like he's not, you know, like there's more. He's really that you feel like there's not, you know, the, the tube is barely squeezed on a guy like that. What you feel like, 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 like there's a lot more in there is what you keep feeling like. He's not, he's the exact opposite of maxed out. He's, he's, there's a whole lot more. So I think that's a part of the excitement of him. I mean, even more than Kinlaw and, and Brown, who I think are better players than him, but I also think that they've been, uh, that more of what they can do has been done, right? I think right. they're closer to their ceilings than he is, and he is sort of walking around the den, you know? Like, like there's a whole other floor or two if he heads to the right stairs, and he could become something truly special. So coaching won't really matter with him. I think it matters less, right. a little less than the other two. I think they're sort of, I think you get Derek Brown no matter who takes Derek Brown. No matter how poorly he's coached, I think you still get Derek Brown, basically. Javon Kinlaw, I think, is pretty much Javon Kinlaw, uh, pretty much where he goes. Gallimore is a little more interesting. I think if he goes to the, the wrong situation, you'll never see what he could be. But if he goes to the right situation, he may end up being the best of the three, but it'll take more to get him there. Right. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, so that'll be that'll be fun. I agree. He'll be a fun story to see how it all plays out. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, um, how do you feel about your, your your guys in the defensive secondary? I think you've got a couple of guys who are draft eligible. With memory serves so correctly in the secondary. Right. I was going to go to Parnell Motley next. Um, yeah. Okay. That, that, yeah, that's a guy who's. I mean, you look at what he's been and who he was this season. It's just night and day. Um, mm-hmm. you you look at you know the numbers as far as passes defended and and the things that he did this year were phenomenal. My my concern with him is you know he's well he's you know six foot one hundred eighty pounds. Um, he he played a lot better press coverage this year than than uh, what he's done in the past. Uh, he's very physical. He played a lot more physical this year, which I think that's kind of an Alan Scritch system, you know, across the board that because mm-hmm. our, our our defensive backs, uh, you know, the ones at Oklahoma are very small, except for, you know, Parnell is probably the biggest at six foot and 180. Um, yep. I'm made that the LSU, when LSU players saw our defensive backs in person, that they laughed because they knew it was going to be a field day for them. Huh. Uh, right. Because we've, we've got five, seven, and five, eight guys, 170 pounds, 180 pounds, running around the defensive backfield. And you're running out wide receiver six two two fifteen. Um, you're going to win. And uh, but Motley, I think the issue with him is going to be um, a lot of his physical play has covered up his lack of physical ability uh, as far as like speed yes. and different things. Um, I kind of see him. And what's funny is he even talks about him because there's I wouldn't have him even getting a camp invite to anybody until this season. And uh, I, I would say probably maybe fifth, sixth round on Parnell Motley uh, just for his play this season. Because when, when people look at his film this year, they're going to think, wow, that guy, you know, they're going to they're gonna know the guy can play this position. It's just I, I'm concerned about physical limitations on him to, yep. to be able to keep up. Um, Here, here's, I'm going to say two words regarding him real quick. Cover two. 
if it was a shot for him to be an NFL starter, he pretty much has to go to a team that mostly plays cover two. Right. Yeah, and so it's going to be, um, you know, as far as, as defensive back, that Motley is, is the one guy I have that's probably has an outside chance of, of getting drafted and and making a team. Um, and then I have the, – the other guy I want real quick is uh, is up front is um, – and I'm kind of all over the place on him. I, I need to watch more, and that's Marquise Overton. Who was another defensive tackle? Okay. Um, at one point, I know on PLF they had him rated as they had the highest success rate on inside runs in college football. Um, I can give that exact stat. Um, he's a guy that man when he came in, he was a difference maker, rotated in and out. Um, I really, I think there's a, he's six two, uh, played about two ninety. Um, I don't, I don't know his exact workout numbers because I didn't see any on him yet. But that's another guy that maybe another name to, to pay attention to. Um, Kenneth Mann was the guy I thought before this season that I thought would have an opportunity, but dealt with injuries all year, and so don't have much on him. Um, I need to get to the offensive guys while we still have time because I mean we need to get to CD. Yep. Yes, yeah, well, obviously there's going to be a, a shrine built to him. Um, but, yes, continue. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny because a, a, a buddy of mine, we, we, he was bringing up this, this conversation I had about him, you know, when he first stepped foot on campus, and it was just, you know, this guy was talking about how good of a player he thought he'd be, and I'm looking at, at CeeDee Lamb at like 150 pounds, and I'm thinking, you know, I, looks like he's got great hands. He's obviously got some speed, but man, I'm just that weight. You know, if he can't put on weight, yeah, you know, he, he's he's going to have some problems. And then just cue this year, some of the runs he made. It, you know, he he makes great catches. The, the most spectacular catches. That, I mean, I mean, going back through Sterling Shepard, another guy who made a lot of spectacular catches. Uh, Ryan Broyles, um, Mark Clayton. Uh, Nobody could make the catches that CD Lamb can make. <laughs> Correct. I mean, just and he put on just, what forty three pounds of muscle? Is that what I'm hearing? He's put on something like forty three pounds of muscle to just in there. Yeah. Yes. He's 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 at like one one. He plays at like one ninety one, one ninety two, and is a brick house. Uh, <laughs> strong. Yeah. And just after the after the catch, just some of the, the things he was able to do as far as breaking tackle. I mean, it's just stuff. Honestly, I, I didn't foresee at all when he stepped on the field as a freshman that like this this kid's going to have some problems, and he's you know maybe able to play the slot a little bit. And no, I mean, no, it's funny. Was like even though even against LSU, it was like if there's one player that looked like they belong on the field with LSU, it was CD Lamb. Yep, yep. He looked like the best player. I mean, he and Murray were like the two best players on your team. And he said, two right. guys. If there's two guys on your team who could start for the other team, it looked like those two, right? right. <laughs> like, okay, these two guys. Gallimore, to a slightly lesser extent, he struggled a little bit at times against LSU, but um, but those two definitely like they could they could walk over to the other locker room and they'd have a spot for them. Oh, yeah, you can start for us right away. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing I, I noticed so much about about CD. 
um, body control, acceleration, stop and start, and it's his, and you just alluded to it, his power for a guy his size is insane. I mean, the, the comparison, it's not even a wide receiver, the comparison I have is Marcus Allen. When you see Marcus Allen, you don't think, black guys are going to run through four guys for a touchdown. And then you, and then you watch Marcus Allen play, it's like, how is he doing this? Where does the power come from? Because Marcus exactly. Allen is built like a wide receiver. <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, I think it was uh, against Iowa State, there was two separate plays where he broke five tackles on two different Yes. And, and the same Somebody took a freeze frame. Somebody freeze frame the play you're talking about on Twitter and said, what would you give me? What, what odds would you give me? I said, this guy's going to score on this play. <laughs> yeah, and then he did it twice. Yeah. It just, uh, he, he's, he's unbelievable. You know, when Sterling Shepard left, I thought, you know, we're, it's going to take us a while to have another wide receiver with that that ability. And just, you know, that with, with Sterling, when Sterling was on the field, no matter what the situation was, you knew you put the ball in his direction, he's going to go catch it. He's going to make a play. Now, he wasn't going to run yep. another 50 yards yep. ball and score, but he would get you the first down. And, you know, he could, you know, as short as Sterling was, he could, he, you know, I never thought Sterling could play number one. Well, he played number one at Oklahoma and, and you know, showed that he could. But I'm telling you, CeeDee Lamb is just a whole, whole other level of athleticism. Um, like yes. he's just and go. Um, even even as a route runner, understands putting his back on the heels and and making them turn. Um, just just a phenomenal phenomenal athlete. He's the complete package. He is the and there are some people out there saying, like, I don't know if he has blah, 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 dominant traits, but I said, look, he's a supersized version. I shouldn't say supersized, he's not, but he's, he's Emmanuel Sanders, but bigger and stronger. Give me that all yes. day long. Right. Yeah, it's not, it's not, like, it may not be as sexy as some of the other guys, but at the end of the day, he's going to have Whoa. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't look like some of the guys at Alabama or LSU quite, though he's, you know, I should say he's done a lot with his body since he got there. But give me the guy who shows up every single game. I can't find a bad game on CD Lamb and I've looked. No. No. And and even that, you look at the other things too. Just honestly, just one of our one of the most uh, consistent run blockers. Yes. Good blocker. Very good blocker, yes. Yeah. I mean, you see, you see a lot of times that the the, the longer runs were coming around CD's side. Um, CD's the first wide receiver I ever seen removed, you know, kicked out of a game for blocking. Uh, <laughs> throwing the block. I mean, I've never seen that. Before. And so, and it was, yeah. it wasn't. It really he, he likes to block. He likes to block. Like, he's good at it, and he enjoys it. It wasn't even a legal block. It's just that he, I think it's just that he hurt someone that no one's ever seen a wide receiver hurt someone run blocking. And I think it just was like, well, that can't be legal, so we'll throw a flag on it. Um, because going, going back and look at it, they said it was like an illegal 
uh, whatever it is. It, it's uh, it's called a uh, 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 right. It's a um, uh, not crackback, but a peel, peel back. It was a peel back. Yeah, is what they called it. That the yeah. guy couldn't see him or whatever it was. Or, yeah, yeah. I, I remember yeah, what you talking about. And they showed it back later, and they said, "Well, maybe you know, really, it wasn't." But it was just the fact that I mean, he took the dude like he. I've never seen a wide receiver for Oklahoma anyway that enjoys run blocking. <laughs> as much as they enjoy catching the football. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not kidding. Give me that kid all day long. Um, yeah. it, I mean, if you don't have him as your wide receiver one, I can kind of see that. If you don't have your wide receiver two, I can sort of see that. If he's not at least in your top three, then sweet Jesus, who is? <laughs> I mean, I can see saying I prefer Jerry Judy. I can see saying right. that, maybe. Uh, and you say I prefer T. Higgins. I can kind of see that. But I can't see putting anybody else over him. I just can't see putting no. anybody else over him. I think he's one of the top three receivers, and I think he might end up being the best of them when it's all said and done because I think he's going to be super versatile. I think he's going to be able to play all the wide receiver positions. And, I, and like you just said, I, I think it, it, people are going to be thrilled when they see him blocking. You know, like, like everybody's super excited. Like, well, you know, I mean, what can't this kid do? I mean, he's got a really right, interesting. Enough. Once again, I know he doesn't, he doesn't look like Julio Jones, but who does? Yeah, he doesn't look like, like, like you know, I mean, he's not 6'5", he's not 237, you know. But, I mean, those guys come along once again. I mean, if you're waiting for the next Calvin Johnson, you're going to have a long way, people. You know, that, that right. guy's not coming. Because <laughs> he's not even but if he turns right. out to be a bigger, stronger version of Emmanuel Sanders, I will sign up for that all day, every exactly. day. Exactly. I, there's, you know, one of my favorite photos of, of him is him catching a football, and uh, it's on a sideline route. And he's so high up in the air, it's Bob, Bob Stoops is still there, and Bob is looking up at him with just this in awe look in his face. And C.D. is in the air, huh. sideways, catch, catching a football with his left hand, and Bob, Bob, Bob is just looking up at him, and it's like one of the most holiest football pictures I've ever seen because it's it's like an angel descending down to the ground, and he just happens to have the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think he's a super. I think he's a super exciting, super. Uh, he's one of those guys where I just think he's got zero bust factor. Like, if, if Jerry Judy bust, I'd be surprised but not shocked. If the Indians bust, I'd be very surprised but not shocked. I just don't think there's any way possible, I just think it's really possible, I think it's extremely unlikely that he busts. If he doesn't want to be right. an all-famer, he doesn't like to be a four-time all-pro, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, but if he's not at least like a Donald Driver kind of wide receiver, I'll be, I'll be surprised. Right. Yeah, and and you know another thing too is just the fact of, you know, going from playing with Baker to Kyler, and then the way that CD had to adjust himself this year to Jalen Hurts made him that much yep. better. Um, yeah, well, you know, he got better every year, no matter who was back there. Well, and, and really, you look at this year, and uh, I want to say probably the first three or four games. 
you know, the stat lines were CD Lamb, one catch for seven or eight yards, two catches for 20 yards. You know, they were very minimal. In fact, you know, the newspapers and the local media was, you know, what's going, you know, how's this going to work out? Because CD's not getting touches. He's not getting, you know, this isn't, this isn't working. And you saw about the, probably about the third or fourth game, just all of a sudden, you know, that next game, you're looking, oh, he had eight catches for 160. And then, you know, he went, it went things went back. But you saw him adjust himself. You're like, look, Jalen can't, he can throw this, but he can't throw this. So we're going to be running this route. I'm going to know also when he goes to take off running, I'm coming back to this far. I'm going to run with him this way so that I'm still a target for him. Because you, you didn't, like I said, it, it, was, it was three or four games of like, even I was like, man, CD's going into season with about 400 yards receiving and maybe two touchdowns. And then all of a sudden, that just that just changed, and you saw him be CD Lamb again. And I mean, a lot of it is attributed to, right. to Jalen Hurt, but I, I, I'm telling you, I would attribute just as much to CD Lamb learning, you know, cutting off routes, you know, doing what he had to do to help Jalen Hurts make a play. Yeah, uh, I really. And that's what you look for in, 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 a, in a professional. That's what you look for in a professional okay. receiver. Does he know how to help his quarterback? Right. And so, uh, and I really think that made him uh, become a better receiver, just having to adjust his game to that difference of a quarterback. So, um, I guess we can go on to Jalen now. Yes. Um, yes. Well, you have, we have to discuss him because there's a lot of very different opinions. Once again, another guy was, I mean, everyone, even the people who aren't as high on CD Lamb as I am, still have him as, some of you have him in the late first, but I have him in the, you know, top to middle parts of the round. But, uh, but I've seen people have, you know, Jalen everywhere from late in the third to literally the seventh. Right. And... You know, it's funny, even me thinking about it right now, it's just, man, I'd like to tell you I had this really good idea of where he, of where he belongs. Um, you saw him, um, it, was, it was a roller coaster season for him. Even, you know, outside of what statistics and numbers he had, which are absolutely phenomenal, um, you know, you saw at the first of the season, him taking off way too early on a lot of design pass plays, uh, trying to make a play with his feet. And uh, by the end of the season, you saw where he was holding on, staying around the pocket too long, trying to wait for something to happen down the field before taking off. And a lot of people thought, well, maybe he's he's hurt or something or, or whatever towards the end of the season. I said, no, it's not that. It's just they have coached him to let plays develop to the point that now he's he's erring on the other side of it. He's holding on to the football too long. And so, again, you're talking about, in, in some aspects, Bill, I mean, I'm not saying it's negative, in some aspects of his passing game, it was like watching a true freshman play. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. You know, and out in the thing negative, but you think about the – the interceptions just throwing off the back foot and uh, just some of the decision-making was just very – it was a guy who has not been coached for four years on in the passing game. Yes. And, let's, let's, and, call, let's call it spade a spade. 
I know we think yeah. Alabama is just wholly trying to cause football. But until very recently, they didn't really care about quarterbacks. Let's just be very honest. For a long time, they treated their quarterbacks the way most people treat place kickers. You know what I mean? Very right. replaceable. <laughs> right. um, and, but like place kickers, they could end up being very important at times when you might not expect them to be. But, and Alabama, of course, has actually been hurt by how little they paid attention to recruiting place kickers, too. But, you know, the fact is that Jalen Hurts was this, I mean, I saw him going back to high school, this super raw but super powerful athlete. Like, uh, if Jalen Hurts doesn't cut from me at quarterback, I might try him on his strong safety or, or Mike Linebacker. He was a ludicrously powerful athlete. He is pound for pound one of the strongest players. I didn't say quarterbacks. One of the strongest players in college football. Have you seen his weight? Well, yeah, I'm sure you have. His weight room numbers are insane. If he was 50 pounds heavier, they'd be impressive numbers. Right. You, if you, uh, you know, in the, the video's all over the place of him, you know, when he first gets to Oklahoma, and he's in the squat rack doing 600 pounds. Like it's nothing. <laughs> Like it, it's it's like it's like one of the first things I felt like it kind of endeared him to the team because you see the team standing behind him and and here it is your quarterback your quarterback your quarterback I'll yeah. say it a third time is in the squat rack with six hundred pounds and like he and he's, and he's crushing it it's not like he's struggling he's he's crushing it six hundred pounds is nothing to him no and you just you just think I, I'm you know. And again, I'm I'm not for him. I don't I don't I think I think he can play quarterback in the NFL. I'll I'll say that. Um um I don't feel a position change for him. Um Right. I think there's I I honestly in the passing side of Jalen Hurts, I still think there's a lot of untapped area that I could not agree more. You know, if he I'm, goes I'm, to the I'm, right I'm, coach, it's just coaching to be everything for him. Yes, coaching. If he can get to the right, the right place with the right coaches, there's. I mean, this is a guy I could see in the league for how, as long as he wants to be. Just, just because you. I mean, you just, you have to love the story of Jalen Hurts. You have to love, and for you to love the story of Jalen Hurts, you have to love who he is and what he's made up of. And his story would not be as big as it is if he wasn't capable of as much as he is. And I'm telling you, the more it's, it's, it was at times frustrating to watch this season, some of the decision-making he would, you know, some of the things he would do, some of the ball security issues he started having uh, towards the end of the season. Um, there are some things there, but I just kept thinking it's, it's like we're, we're running a true freshman quarterback out there, and now we're just going to send him away. And there's there's so much that's that's still there, you know. Um, I don't know. I think you're going to have some people push Bill for him to change positions uh, because number one, he's an athlete. Number two, he's black. And, or you may switch those. Right. Yes. I mean, I'm, right. I'm not trying to be too blunt on your not trying to be too blunt on your show, but I'm. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's, I mean, let's be honest. With a, you're a black athletic quarterback. Let's be honest. I mean, people are going to be positioned. There'll, there'll be some people, right, there'll be some noise around that. 
what I'm hoping happens, there's only, there's like people always say, you know, there's sort of developmental quarterback it's thrown all the time. But the issue is, how many teams really know how to develop quarterbacks? It's a short list, man. There's only a handful of teams that seem to really understand how to develop quarterbacks. Most teams need their quarterback pretty much ready, right? How, look at what's happened with even Mitchell Trubisky, who was a little further along, not a lot, but a little further along than Jalen, right? right? He's still struggling. He's still struggling. I can tell you this, seeing a lot of him, and he has good days and his bad days, and at his very best, it looks like you're getting a guy who's going to be a top-ten quarterback, and at his worst, you're ready to say, why are we not drafting another quarterback? So there's, there's stuff in a guy like Jalen Hurts. And if you can afford to say, first of all, you have to be making a fourth carry like three quarterbacks. He's probably not ready to be, be your backup even right away. But if you are one of those teams, because not every team carries three nowadays, but if you're one of those teams that does carry three quarterbacks, and you have good quarterback coaches, coaches who actually get this is the process by which we bring along a young quarterback. I mean, who do we trust? Well, Andy Reid, but, you know, that's, that's sort of the best-case scenario. He is up, you know, going late, uh, you know, uh, late in the fifth. Into the fifth, he goes to Kansas City. That would be, like, perfect, right? That would be the ideal situation. Andy Reid actually, one, doesn't have a problem with athletic black quarterbacks, right? Because some, I mean, you brought it up. There are teams that don't really like them or aren't sure about how much they like them or how are we going to put it, right? <laughs> Hopefully that's slowly but surely changing, but not every team is into that, right? Not everybody likes everything. That's the way things are. I get it. Um, but clearly Andy Reid, you know, has a very extensive record of having a certain amount of success with athletic black quarterbacks. And, has no problem with bringing them along. Two, I mean, Dallas sort of kind of makes sense, too. Um, I think they could use an upgrade to their backup position, and he has a fairly similar skill set to Dak. And Dak, it's funny, some of the same criticisms that Dak heard, which is why he was a fourth-round pick, are very similar to some of the criticisms I've heard about Jalen Hurts. Right? Exactly. Um, you know, and once again, Dak, I think, holds all the Mississippi State quarterback uh, listing records so they don't look like Jalen's numbers. I mean, Jalen's numbers are ridiculous. But, um, but I think Dak holds pretty much all the weight room. I, mean, I don't know if you're looking for if that matters, but I'm pretty sure Dak has set all the weight room records for, for quarterbacks at Mississippi State as well. So if that matters, if you care about that, they're both guys who I think own – the weight room records for their position at their schools. In fact, in the case of Jalen at two schools, he holds all the quarterback right. weightlifting records at two schools. Uh, not too many people can say that. But uh, if he goes to a patient situation, right, where they care about – the thing about most teams don't care about their backup quarterbacks. They like this guy to be sort of a self-sustaining thing. If it's Josh McCown, hell, he is a coach. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to coach Josh McCown. He doesn't need reps. You know? <laughs> um, he'll, he'll be fine. That's how the teams really want their, quarter, their backup quarterback to be. A guy who doesn't need really be coached, doesn't really need reps. A whole lot of teams just want this guy to sort of, sort of hey, stand by this over there, hold a clipboard. Oh, and when you get a chance, work on these things. Work on our two-minute or four-minute 
work on. But you kind of do that on your own because our coach is busy trying to get our starter ready. <laughs> I mean, I'm, not, I'm only barely exaggerating. There are teams where their backup, not their third stringer, their backup gets 15, 20% of the reps. So, so when you're a third string quarterback, I mean, what's the old thing? It's like somebody feeding you a wish sandwich. I mean, it's, it's tough, man. It's hard, being, it's hard being a third-string quarterback, man. So most third-stringers are either, right, one of two things. They're either these huge-armed, super raw, you know, power-armed, like these giant, you know, Tyler Bray, right? Don't really know what they're doing, but they have a huge arm and they're six foot six, and maybe maybe the light will come on. Or they're forty year olds, right? Who you know you could just sort of they're they're semi coaches. You brought them in because you got a young backup and a young starter. You need somebody to sort of show them the way. You know, hey, when you're in film room with them, you had to help them learn how to take notes, that kind of thing. So yeah. that's what most third triggers are. One or the other, right? So right. Jalen's not either of those things. That's the first issue he has, is that the teams that are looking at him, he doesn't fit what most teams want in their third-string quarterback. They either want a guy who they think might someday be Josh Allen, or they want Josh McCall. They want all those Joshes, usually. He's not a Josh. So that's the first sort of right. thing, working against him being a third-stringer. Right? He's not a Josh. He's not either one of the Joshes. not McCall, not Allen. So you have to go to a place where they, they're open to what you are. And like I said, we've seen that Dallas has been open to that. They've, they've had success with Dak, and I think they might see some Dak in him. Once again, Andy Reid, uh, he's got some quarterbacks already, but he seems to always be open to looking at more quarterbacks. He likes quarterbacks. Um, who else really seems to know how to develop quarterbacks, though? You know what I mean? Like the short list, man, it really is. Seattle, right? Yeah. Seattle has open to the kind of quarterback he is. You know, maybe he'd be, that'd be a good landing spot for him. Uh, I mean, things have changed in Carolina. I don't really know what they like now. Um, we'll see. Uh, clearly, things are in flux. Uh, when they had Cam, you know, he at least somewhat resembles what they were doing there, but we'll see what it is going forward because there's a new sheriff in town. And he may want to do things very, very differently in a very, very different way. Right. I mean, Tampa maybe. Arians understands quarterbacks. Um, Jameis is a very different kind of quarterback, but he at least seems to know how to develop guys. Jameis, people make a lot of jokes about Jameis' 30-30 season, but Jameis is making progress. Now, he still does some Jameis Winston things. Um, Oh, yeah, that guy's triple covered, but I'm pretty sure I can get the ball there. Like, there's a little too much of that still going on in Davis's game, obviously. Um, and sometimes that guy who keeps jamming in the triple coverage becomes Brett Favre or Terry Bradshaw, but more often than not, he becomes Bubby Brister. So <laughs> that's a tough – I mean, it's true. I mean, the numbers – like, it's a short list of that jamming in the triple coverage guy that becomes a Hall of Famer. A couple of them, two, right, have done it. The rest of them have been Bobby Brister. I mean, or something like that. I mean, that's right. that's who that guy usually, Billy Joe Hobart. I mean, that's usually what that guy becomes. The, 
I've got a super strong arm. Yeah, he's triple covered. I'm pretty sure I can still fit it in there. Uh, the risk, the risk really ends up being through. You, you just talked about earlier was like the thing that both Tyler Murray and obviously Baker understood at a super high level was the risk reward. You know how to balance, and that's tough to learn, especially once again when you're in a new everything, right? The the uh, the situation in Alabama it was a run based offense, even even. You know, even though they were throwing the ball more than Alabama normally did, it's still they still want to run the football first, first and foremost. He gets here. I mean, no offense, but Oklahoma is not about to pound you. You know, we're not about to run the ball thirty times, or sometimes not even twenty times. Um, I think there was at least one game where you guys barely got to twelve carries, if memory serves it correctly. And I think three or four of those were Jalen. So, so there are games where the running backs catch the ball and block. You know, <laughs> but right. you better like those two things if you want to be an Oklahoma running back nowadays. Steve Owens and Billy Sims are not about to walk through that door. No, no, and um, uh, so and, and, well, a lot of the games Jalen was had was you know I would probably say. Ninety percent of the games, he was the leading rusher as far as the amount of carries. I, I think he led the team in rushing ten times this year. I, 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 I don't yeah. think I'm wrong. I think it was ten times. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty that's, crazy. Yeah, there was times where running backs were, you know, the leading running back was getting six, six seven carries, and Jalen had seventeen, eighteen. <laughs> right. I, I've seen some of those games. Uh, so you yeah. definitely can't question his toughness, right? I mean, this guy's toughness is not in question. Um, his mental toughness is not in question. His physical toughness is not in question. Uh, because, and I think his ability to learn, you know, you sometimes saw some gaps, as you said, in sort of his recognition of certain things. I think even though he still managed to learn a new offense fairly quickly, I think he can learn to understand an NFL offense. Uh, my main oh, concern absolutely. is one is, you mentioned it. You mentioned one thing right away. He is, he's like a 19-year-old mechanically as opposed to a 23-year-old mechanically or a 22-year-old mechanically. There's, now, I mean, you can look at that two ways. You can say, wow, how much better could he be if I could get him coached up? Or you could be like, wow, why am I still coaching this to a guy who's played this much football? So it'll it'll come down to teams that value that question. You know what I mean? Like, some teams will be turned off by the fact that why am I showing this to a guy who's played as much football? Right. Yeah. And it was... Uh, and then there'll be some coaches excited by the challenge, hopefully. Yeah. And, and you know, you look at him again, it's just, you know, there's there's so much... And there's, it's so different because everybody just kind of groups in with, with Tyler and Baker because of them being transferred. Well, first of all, Baker transferred in as a red shirt freshman. And so he had a number of years to be here. And then, and then you had Tyler who came in and sat behind Baker and had time here. And, you know, when Jalen coming in basically in December, um, there was only and, – and the fact that, you know, well, I think he ended up what, responsible for 51 touchdowns, I think, this season. Um, to me, I, I honestly thought he would struggle more than he did. I was 
you know, I felt like any quarterback and what we do here was going to put up some phenomenal numbers. But I was thinking if he if he throws in the 30 touchdown range and, you know, gets intercepted 14, 15 times, that that's going to be a successful season. And obviously he didn't do – he went above and beyond as far as both those numbers doing, doing well. And um, it even – there was a throw he made in the Big 12 championship game, and it's funny, I said, you know, it was a throw. It was a back shoulder throw that he could not throw. I didn't see him throw it all season. And it was a throw that Baker could throw just – he threw it on a regular basis. And right. Pollard could throw it. And, you know, the first – we're going through the first ten games, and I haven't seen it once from him, and I'm thinking he can't throw it. And you see it in a championship game against Baylor, he throws this, this perfect back shoulder to where the wide receiver just turns and there's the ball. Like, no, the coverage is good, everything is good, but all the wide receiver had to do was just turn around and the ball's coming. And it was so on the money. And I said, and I was like, oh, my God, that, that's a money-making pass right there. That, that's a pass that somebody's going to look at and go, this guy can do this. And, you know, you, yep. that's funny you brought back Prescott because that's, that's who I think in my mind. That was the first player I thought of when I, when I began to look through and I think of, you know, I look at back Prescott when he left Mississippi State. I look at Jalen Hurts right now. And I'm going, what's the difference? You've got two guys right. that are very strong, very strong in their legs, um, where, could, you know, mobile quarterbacks, um, could, you know, can make some throws. But, you know, when the Cowboys took back in the fourth, I was just thinking, okay, well, he'll be a nice backup. I never imagined that he would be a starter. Nope. And, and, and let's be honest, the Cowboys didn't think he was their future starter either. It, you don't take the guy you think is your future starter in the fourth. Right, right. And I'm thinking, and I'm looking at Dak Prescott and what he can do, and I look at, and, you know, Dallas and, and Jason Garrett, I felt like they they did and they've operated under what Dak Prescott could do until they could teach him and, and bring him on further. And you saw them try to bring him on further. But, you know, that first season when he's replacing Tony Romo, he's not throwing very many complicated routes. Like, he's – He's, nope. It's a it's a steady diet of Jason Witten, and it's not uh, it's not much you know not a lot down the field. It's just things that he can do. And what what I uh, saw a lot of was variance on levels concepts. They would give right. him a lot of high low. Hey, if this opens open, hit it. If that's if they take that away, we're running this right behind it, so you don't have to look. It's going to be on the same side of the field, eight more yards deeper. <laughs> like that's what I saw a lot of. Right, and and I'll even go back further, and, and a different style of quarterback, and I'll go back to Oklahoma quarterbacks. I'll look at Landry Jones leaving Oklahoma, and I'll look at Jalen Hurts at this point. I'm I'm telling you, if, you, if I have the choice of Landry Jones or Jalen Hurts, I'm taking Jalen Hurts six times today. And, gotcha. Uh, you know, Landry at that time, Landry Jones was fourth round fourth round pick again and I'm thinking there's in the right situation you know you look at, well you look like what Pittsburgh ran into this year with Roethlisberger going down and you, if you give me an opportunity and you say would you rather have Mason Rudolph or Jalen Hurts coming in in that situation I'm I'm bringing Jalen Hurts in um, in, an, in an apples and apples for apples comparison 
I, I look at what I look at what he can become as an NFL quarterback, and I I think that there's still so much room for improvement there. And then the right listen, you can't tell me that the guy quarterback in the Indianapolis coach is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Now, that's no disrespect to him, but there's no reason to think that that guy is an NFL quarterback, but Jalen Hurts isn't. I think the difference is refinement. I think that's the real difference, is that uh, Jacoby Brissett got really good coaching in two different places. Uh, He got some really good coaching in Florida, and then he uh, went, I guess, if very correctly, I guess it was when they brought in Will Greer, uh, he thought the writing was on the wall. Uh, and so, I mean, it's funny. They had, at one point, a quarterback room with Tim Tebow as the starter. Uh, Brissett had just come in as a recruit. Cam Newton was a backup. And there was one other quarterback uh, who later went on to play somewhere else. But they had a ridiculous quarterback room. <laughs> Let's see, it was Tebow, Brissett, Cam, and Greer had had been signed as a junior, you know. So it was like it was two years before he was on campus. But Brissett saw the right on the wall, uh, you know. Oh, great, they have a five-star quarterback coming in. I'm a three-star, you know. He, and then transfers to NC State. He got really good coaching. Uh, right. Here's what I will say about Brissett. I mean, he's, he's he doesn't have all the physical stuff that Jalen has. Jalen is a was a freak of nature. Uh, he's he's not that. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is sort of a, a, a he, I won't say game manager because he, he does have the ability to make some big plays down the field because he has a strong arm, but he is a guy who, or one, was once again originally brought to be a backup, right? It wasn't like people weren't saying we want Jacoby to come in and be our starter. They had Andrew Luck at the time, and he was a really good backup. And then Andrew Luck rather unexpectedly retired. So there's still talk that the Colts are going to draft a quarterback this year. You know, I think they're going to look long and hard at guys like Jordan Love. We'll see where, you know, Jason, where uh, Justin Herbert goes in the draft. But, you know, I'm hearing rumblings that they're at least considering drafting. And, and Jacoby will still be the starter at least to begin the season, even if they do draft a quarterback, because, you know, he's at least initially going to be, you know, the guy that you would trust more than, you know, almost any rookie that you got. But, I mean, once again, then Jacoby got some pretty good coaching in a place called New England. Uh, so by the time he gets to, uh, you know, the, the Colts, he's been around some pretty darn good quarterbacks and some pretty good developers of quarterbacks. Developing quarterbacks, I mean, we talked about this before, it's something that most teams frankly don't do well uh, with guys that aren't, pretty well-developed already. Like, like people, it's funny to me because people say, well, once so-and-so gets NFL coaching. And I'm not saying this to denigrate what NFL coaches do. I think it's just a misunderstanding of what NFL coaches do. They're the best at preparing you to play other professionals on the planet Earth, but they're not always the best at developing basic skills because, frankly, that's not what they think they should be doing. These right. are NFL coaches. They're trying to beat Bill Belichick, right? They're trying to win the Super Bowl. They're not, right. they're not, generally, they're not there to teach you stuff that 
you might have learned in high school and definitely should have learned in college. So right. a lot of times they'll, they'll just they'll – just, right. So if you're a mid-round rookie or a late-round rookie or God help you an undrafted free agent and you don't know how to do certain things, they'll just pull you out of line and say, you know, get out, get out of line and, and go to the next kid, you know, and that person gets that rep. So – and this is why, you know, especially the quarterback so that's why they pay guys 200 bucks an hour nowadays sometimes, 100, 150, 100 bucks, 250 I mean, these top, these quote-unquote quarterback coaches, the Quincy Averys and the, the uh, George uh, Whitfields and the Steve Clarksons and the, the Palmer brothers, Jordan and, uh, and now Carson uh, Palmer, get paid that because it might be worth it. If you didn't learn these things in college, and you know that they're not going to spend all day trying to teach this to you at the next level. You better learn it somewhere. Right. Right. And, and uh, are there any – yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, um, this, this uh, senior bowl week for Jalen is, is, I think, just going to be huge. Um, yes. I, you know, I, I just – you know, I know it's big for everybody, but I'm trying to think of just a player in his position, the varying opinions that you have on him. You know, he's he's on everybody's boards from first round to undrafted. Um, he's, I just, I, you know, it's important to everybody, but when I look at a, a player on the roster, that this this week is going to really, man, it's going to have a huge impact on the rest of their life. It's Jalen Hurts. Yes. I think it'll be extremely consequential for him. Uh, I think we're going to look very carefully at how quickly he learns things. And, I mean, once again, you mentioned this, so I'll just go with it. There's a reason a lot of people were not sold on Robert Griffin III coming out. And a lot of people were not completely sold on Lamar Jackson coming out. And some of it has to do with some, you know, cultural things. So, I mean, Robert Griffin III actually, you know, speaks quite well. God, I hate that I have to say this. But, but he didn't get the world's highest. Uh, I think he got a 23 or something on the uh, that on the, on the Wonderlick. And some people were like, uh, you know. well, I've taken the Wonderlick. I've given the Wonderlick. It's not – I wouldn't say it's worthless. I would say it's really good at finding people who are good at computing certain things in their heads quickly. And that's not quite the famous playing quarterback. Um, And Lamar Jackson didn't have a great one to like, I think, a 19 or a 17 or something like that. And he also talks like a kid who comes from a poor part of South Florida, which he does. He's from Coconut Grove, uh, which is a nice-looking place, but not, you know, not a lot of money in that area. Uh, It's kind of a, a, a sort of poorer part of South Florida. And... He sounds like a kid who grew up there. Uh, so some people don't like the way he speaks. I get that. And he didn't have a super high wonder lick. But watch him run Petrino's offense at Louisville, which is not, you know, it's not a super simple offense. Like, I say what you want about Bobby Petrino. He has lots of other things you can question about him. But he designs a pretty, pretty he designed some good offenses. He designed some pretty good offenses. And there's a lot of stuff going on for the quarterback and the offenses that he's designed. 
And while I would agree that, you know, they made some changes to that offense to fit what Lamar did, because why wouldn't you? And then when you have the NFL, they change some things in their offense to fit what Lamar does, because why wouldn't you? Why would you not? Why would you shove this round peg into a square hole when you've got the, one of the greatest round pegs the planet's ever seen? But, uh, but he still was in an offense that required him, you know, to make checks at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, they ran a certain number of – they ran these number of option routes where he and the receiver had to read the defense with the same eyes. He did some pretty complex things and did them at a pretty high level. And he's improved tremendously. I mean, his year-over-year improvement, uh, I'm having trouble thinking of how many other quarterbacks have done anything like it. It took, heck, it took, it took Peyton three years. Right. Right? I mean, Peyton was, you know, a rookie in his first year and really looked like one. In his second year, there was definite improvement, but he wasn't elite. Now, that third year, you're like, oh, yeah. Well, this guy's going to be a great one. Like, you can see that by his third year. With Lamar Jackson, two games into his second year, you were like, oh, oh, this is going to be trouble. This is, this is going to be a problem. This is, is going to, man, this, he's going to cost some decoiners their jobs if he keeps doing this. Right. So, and once again, that's not quite who, who Jalen is. And some people will throw that comparison out there. It's like, eh. I mean, he certainly can, you know, make some things happen with his feet. But, I mean, that's, I mean, that's not the same. <laughs> so the two, I mean, that guy is a wow. punt returner. You know, I mean, that's, that's a different right. deal. I mean, that's, that's, that's not, <laughs> I can't really think of another quarterback. I mean, I can think of quarterbacks who are like that, but not ones that could also throw, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's like those dudes who are running, you know, some of those true running offenses, those triple option offenses in terms of how he can see things right. and do things in the open field as a runner. He's, he's just special. He's, right. he's just special. I mean, there's, there's, that's rare. Like, I hope people realize what they're seeing because you don't see that. Yeah. That's – Rare. <laughs> I, I know what you're saying that, but it, it's just been so true. But I mean, really, because I mean, if again, and there, you're talking about just two. Like, look, I when Jalen Hurts ran with the football, I was never concerned with him getting injured or taking a hit. Like, if somebody squared up on Jalen on Jalen Hurts, it didn't concern me too much because that that's a that's a running back. That's a, uh, I mean, he's he's built like an H back, really. Uh, that's yeah. a guy who can, yeah. who can take. Uh, you know, Lamar Lamar's a different. Like, I hate, you know, I hate to just go to Michael Vick, but he is. If people will remember how electric Michael Vick was in college. <laughs> And then, you know, early on, like, they can just, you know, and I, I felt like Lamar was a better passer coming out of college anyway. Than, than, but what I will say is that he had played in a passing offense that was closer to the kind of passing offense he was likely to play in in the NFL. 
And I love Michael right. Vick, and I've seen Michael Vick since he was a kid. I mean, I grew up, you know, he's from, you know, Newport News. My dad at one point lived in Newport News with his aunt and uncle. We used to go to Newport News. Uh, my uh, godbrother uh, competed against Altoon in the triple jump out, out in Newport News. Shout out to Chris Gurdine, uh retired Air Force colonel, now working at the State Department. Shout out to you, Chris. Um, so, spent some time out in Newport News, saw this kid playing baseball. I heard him saw him not playing football, playing baseball. And I saw him make a throw from his knees. Like, he was playing third base. He ranged, you know, outside the third base, or uh, right to the edge of the third base line. The ball, ball popped up, sort of surprised him. He, was up, he dropped to his knees, snagged it with his glove, and, you know, once he's left-handed, right? So how many left-handed third basemen have you seen in the world? In the world? <laughs> so I'm like, what the heck? Why is this left-handed kid playing third base? But he makes this crazy play across his body from his knees, throws the ball, throws out the runner by three and a half steps from his knees, deep, you know, like in like foul territory just outside the third base line. And I'm like, who's that? Oh, that's Uki, uh, which is his childhood nickname. It's like, oh, okay. Sort of filed that kid away in my mind. And then a few years later, he's at <laughs> Mitchell High playing for uh, – <laughs> playing for legendary coach Tommy Riemann. Uh, for those who've ever seen North Dallas 40, he played Delma Hobbs, the running back, who uh, ended up, you know, not wanting to play hurt. Davis, he goes out and tears his hamstring up. But that was coach Tommy Riemann, uh, who was a pretty good running back himself. Yep. I think he led the WFL, the World Football League, in its final year of operation. Uh, shout out to the World Football League. Uh, but I believe he was the leading rusher in the league the last year that it existed. Uh, okay. But, yeah, Tommy Riemann coached Aaron Brooks. He coached both of the Vic brothers. He coached Tyrod. He coached a lot of good quarterbacks. Uh, and that's, I see all those kids play. Um, and Mike's offense at Virginia Tech was, well, let's be very honest, it was Michael Vick do something. It was really it's sort of like the kind of what their offense was. Like Michael Vick do something. And – there was a lot of sort of designed, you get the defense to overreact to, you know, something, and then one of our receivers will, you know, look like he's running a slant. They had a lot of sort of late slant and goes or late slant and posts or whatever, where it's a, it looks like a running, it looks like a pass play, then Michael Vick starts to run, and the off defense freaks out, and everyone starts running towards the line of scrimmage, then Mike stops and throws a deep ball for a touchdown. That was there was a lot of that in there. <laughs> um, some of it by design. I think originally it was just stuff that would happen, and then they started putting it in. Like, oh, that's good. Let's make that a play. Um, but there wasn't a lot of reading of the defenses in the normal sense, like in the traditional sense, um, because they just thought of thought, well, the defense is going to do what we make them do because they're Michael Vick, right? And so. I mean, even against Florida State in the Sugar Bowl, right, we all go back to this, um, where they're just outgunned and outmanned and outmatched. There were things that Michael Vick did that just we hadn't seen before. The difference, I think, with Lamar, one is he wants to throw the ball first. He wants to be a passer. He's always wanted to be a passer. That's the first thing. Even when he was an unstoppable killing machine at Coconut Grove High School, he wanted to win from the pocket, and then, you know, if things broke down or whatever, he would then decide, well, let me just cut through the entire defense and make eight people miss and get a touchdown, but I'd prefer to throw the ball. And 
I mean, his high school tape is comical, man. I don't know if you've seen Lamar's high school tape. It is straight yeah. comedy. Because, I mean, no offense, and these are, this is South Florida football. These guys can play. But, you know, they weren't ready for this. You know, like, like there's, there's no high school in the world where they prepare you for Lamar Jackson. I don't care where you're playing your high school ball. I mean, no offense to Johnny Johnny uh, Manziel. People talk about Johnny Manziel, how electric and electrifying or whatever. It's like, I've seen Manziel's high school tape. I watched him in Texas a He couldn't touch Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's high school tape is crazy. Um, just the things he does. And, I mean, he's just doing stuff. It's like when Deion Sanders was returning kicks, and it was almost like he was toying sometimes with the other team. That's how it sometimes was with Lamar Jackson. There's times when you can see him, like, thinking, do I want to really embarrass this kid or just sort of embarrass this kid? Because <laughs> I could do this thing. I could do this thing where he's going to fall down and everybody's going to laugh at him, or I could just kind of soft juke him and just sort of just destroy his angle, and it'll just look like he got beat but not embarrassed. Like, it was times when I thought that's what his thought process would be. Because when he decided to put on all of his moves, ugh, just, ugh, just, oh. I mean, I'm sure there's kids who thought to themselves, like, why is this happening to me? What did I do, God? <laughs> yeah, there's, it's funny because you talk about his high school tape. You know, everybody's got good high school tape. I mean, if you're playing at that level, you've, you've got high school tape. But there's two guys yeah. where, oh, yeah. two guys, when I watch their high school tape, that I feel sorry for the 11 guys on the other side of the field a lot. And uh, one is Lamar Jackson and two is Adrian Peterson. Um, oh, 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 yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Well, just, yeah, man, I was 100. I was 100. I was in high school. In high school, I was a, a, I was a backup safety, and I weighed about 143 pounds. I'm not going to lie. I was a hitter. Like, I was known as a tough guy. I was a little guy, but I was known as a tough guy. But I might have to make a business decision with, with Adrian Peterson. You're right. Right. And, and you just watch the film, and, and you see it coming. You see this point where, you know, it's almost like, am I going to really embarrass this guy in front of his girlfriend? And... <laughs> right, his mom, everybody. Yeah. Right. right, and it's almost like you can just see the whole process just working through, like, okay, at this point, you know, do I just want to make him fall or do I run around through him? And so, yeah, it's uh, it's Lamar Lamar Jackson, and, and it's this thing, and, and I I knew I'd end up talking about it because I've, I've been in a love affair with him for about four or five years now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it really is, and and you know the moment uh, Charlie Cas- casually said something about him being a wide receiver, like I immediately went in. Yeah. I was, I was <laughs> mode, and I, dude, I can't tell you. I, I am this guy. How many friends on Facebook or how many Twitter accounts I went back to? I dug up their old posts, and then I just requoted them, sent them back to them, and just said, "I really <laughs> don't do this." but I wanted you to remember what you said about Lamar Jackson. I want you to remember this is what you said about him the next time you think this. Uh, and so hopefully the next time when something somewhat I mean, we won't see another Lamar Jackson, but it's some of the similar prospects. Hopefully the Bill Polians and Charles, 
Charlie Cassidy's and a few others. And Tom, Tom McShay, I'll give him credit, he sort of changed. Because the year prior, he had said some of that wide receiver stuff too. And then his final year at Louisville, he sort of revised. You know, he still wasn't fully all in on Lamar, but at least he said, oh, no, he's definitely a quarterback. Like, it took him till that last year. But because the year prior to that, because I think he learned from the Robert Griffin third, the third thing, because he was the guy that took a while to come around on him and originally had him evaluated at one point as a wide receiver athlete or whatever, uh, you know, position switch prospect, and, you know, then got to watch him in the Heisman Trophy as a quarterback. So I think he learned, to his credit, Tobish, I think, learned from that and then decided not to be quite so quick on that position switch trigger from that point forward. Right. So. Uh, before we close out, are there any special teams or offensive line prospects that we should have our eye on? Um, you know, specialists. Uh, I, I well, don't have uh, a tight end this year to speak of because uh, 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 Mr. Cassatero, unfortunately, stepped away from the game due to concussion. Yeah, right. And so that he would have been it. Um, we're really, especially the only the only player across the offensive line to who would have been to discuss, but already Matthew Humphrey, um, the center. Oh, that's right. But he, yes, he, he's a he good athlete. Listen, when he does come out, it's going to be special. But um, you know, he made the decision to come back. But he's he's definitely right. that next line. You know, that's that's the thing, and that's. Kind of another thing that Jalen had to deal with was, you know, this was a whole new group except for the center. Um, the rest of those guys are making NFL paychecks that played last year, right in front of me. And so, yeah, um, you know, that's a, it was a whole different line, which also affected some of the play calling. Um, so yeah, that would be it. The, the kicker. Um, I'll tell you this, man. Um, I normally wouldn't shout out the kicker, but. Um, uh, the original starting kicker was removed about the second or third game for some uh, off-the-field issues, and the fellow we had come in and replace him um, went 19 for 19 this year on his field goal attempts and all of his extra points, and so that's somebody else. Um, really, that, that's about it as far as, as who we've got that's um, okay. available. Well, you can't do much better than 19 of 19. So, no, so that is, that's pretty good. Yeah, he was the backup backup kicker, not not on scholarship and not even really sure where he came from. But, yeah, he he was moneyball this year, kicked, you know, made a few, made two or three from 50-plus. And so he's, he's definitely, Burback's his name, he's definitely somebody to to, uh, to keep your eye on for the future because he's, he's a – I'll say Seabird is Seabird was a, a great kicker, but I, I feel like this kid's got a lot stronger yeah. foot than him. Um, okay, and, but man, there's so much youth on this team, and and I think next year, especially, I think right now we have we have nine or ten players in the transfer portal, and so especially on the defensive side of the ball, and so with what Grant likes to do, um, I think we're finally going to get back to where you're going to start seeing some more prospects coming from that side. Well, that that's good news for a bunch of reasons. 
Uh, I'm excited, like I said, to see what the, the future holds. Uh, every, from everything I've heard, Spencer Rattler is going to be sort of a little bit, a little bit of each of the last four or so quarterbacks. A little bit of this guy, a little bit of that guy. He's got a little bit of this guy. That's what everyone keeps. That's what I'm hearing from you know people who are around the program that you know he's not quite as explosive a change of direction guy as Kyler Murray, and he's not quite as um, what's the word I'm looking for um, uh, ludicrously confident as Baker, and not quite as powerful as as Jalen, but he has a little bit of all of those guys. And my understanding is that his arm is elite. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you just look at, like, some of the stuff. Uh, of course, you can tell, like, he's really being uh, uh, modeling himself after Mahomes. Uh, yeah. As far as about, about everything from look on down from his, his style of play, that's who he's trying to – I'm not saying that he's anything like that. I'm saying that's who he's modeling himself after. Uh, when sure, that's, right. I mean, all the know, kids that wanted to be Red, Red Favre, none of them became Red Favre, but you could tell some of them really wanted to be Red Favre. I mean, I, right. I think of how few quarterbacks you saw win number four until Brett Favre came along. Right. And so, yeah, not not very many. And uh, but yeah, he, you could tell. Uh, and even you know, and you know that red shirt rule this year where they could play four games was so great because um, getting to watch him play this year and some and this Rose, he he's he's a little bit. I mean, yeah, you, you can definitely see us there. Honestly, I'm excited because this is going to be Lincoln's first guy. I mean, look, I mean, right. he works. Isn't that funny? I mean, he's had so many transfers. He's been there a while, but this is the first time he'll be one of his guys. Yeah, like this is his first, like, Lincoln guy. So I'm, I'm like, okay, this is this is where, I mean, you did great with Baker and you did great with Kyler and you did great with Dalen, but, I mean, this is, this is your dude. I mean, this is this is your guy. So, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be a special one for sure. Okay. Um, anybody else to look for for next year? Guys, you think might push their way into the first few rounds of the 2020? Never really talk about the 2021 draft, but um, anybody else you want to throw out there um, that you think might be something? Okay. Uh, Trey Sermon. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, he, his issue's been health, right? Yeah, and I think there was just. You know, I think there were some other issues kind of that maybe weren't necessarily, like, not a problem as far as, like, a legal problem, but I think there was just some attitude issues he had this season because even before he was hurt, his carries kept dropping, uh, his playing time kept dropping. And so there was some – there was something going on there. But, dude, he is, he is too good. Um, you know, you look back even to what he did against Georgia – um, what he was able, what he's been able to do at different points in different games. The guys, he can catch the football, he can block, he can do some things. I think, um, you know, I haven't quite figured out Kennedy Brooks yet. Kennedy Kennedy Brooks has has kind of stolen the carries the last two years. Um, after Rodney Anderson went down, Kennedy Brooks kind of fired from the bottom, and then next thing you know, he he becomes more of a feature back. It's you, you look at the end of a game and look, and he's got, you know, 15 carries for 
buck oh nine or something, you know, a, a touchdown yep. here. I call it, I tell him Mr. Quiet 105 yards. That's Kennedy Brooks, Mr. Quiet 105 yards. Right. And so, you know, you're not again, you don't look at the end of a game and go, Man, that guy's amazing, but he he, he doesn't lose your yards. He's uh he's it's almost like a little bit a little bit far as physically wise, he's a little bit bigger version of Quentin Griffin. Um It's he, funny he, that was a name I thought of too. Yeah, and Quinn was like, yeah. so yeah, he's a little bigger than that. But he's very similar. Look at you. That's exactly who was running the run by. Yeah, I mean, he just, he's just, for some reason, he's hard to tackle. He's got really good balance. He's, you know, that thing, even with, with Q that he would do, is, you know, put that hand down and kind of able to skip for three or four more yards. Um, so he's right in there. So I, it, it's hard to say about him, but I, I, I think. I think you know when I look at him in the future, you know that's the guy that's he'll he'll be drafted. I'm just not quite sure where yet. Yeah, well, he's one guy we're testing more. Obviously, very very important as well. And people forget Quentin Griffin had one season where he rushed for over 1,200 yards in the NFL. Like I would win a lot of money probably if I were to say you know which one of these guys had a 1,200 yard season uh, rushing, and I went down the list and I threw out you know some names they would definitely know, and then threw at the end Quentin Griffin, and, you know, the guys actually, <laughs> what these guys have to yeah. have the most regular rushing yard the season? I've got, like, Reggie Bush on the list. Like, I have so many guys on the list. But the guy with the most yeah. yards rushing, Quentin Griffin, one year at the Denver yeah. Broncos. Right. He had a 256-yard game against Kansas City. I mean, he uh... – Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, was some of it the system? Sure, but it wasn't all the system. The guy, he wasn't super, well, he was tiny. He wasn't very big. He was strong for his size, but he wasn't even super fast. But you mentioned balance and vision. He had those two things. Right, and and Brooks, and, and that's, that's kind of why I see Brooks is just, again, it's just like, man, he, he, he may not get you he's not gonna go 80 yards, that he's going to get you a solid six or seven. Yes, correct. I got you. I'm with you on that. Um, so I'm going to talk a little teeny tiny bit of Senior Bowl. Obviously, as you said, super big, super important for, for Jalen Hurts. I think there's a few other players. Well, obviously, I think for Justin Herbert, it'll be a big, big deal as well. I think it'll be big for some of the, the corners because it's a very good group of wide receivers. It's a bit of measuring stick for the, the corners and, and, and uh, safeties. Uh, I really like to see, you know, sort of how some of the quarterbacks not named, you know, I mean, obviously Joe Burrow was, had originally planned to go and now it's recently uh, indicated he's going to be spending time with his family instead. So I'll be interested to see which quarterback gets maybe the call-up from East-West Shrine or the, the NFLPA game or if they go outside of yeah, – traditionally, usually they call up on these guys, but who knows? Maybe they'll do something different. Um, you know, Jim Nagy's the, the new sheriff in town, and maybe he'll do something different from what they've done in the past. But I'll be interested to see who, that, who they add to fill that hole at quarterback. And I think it'll be good for the running backs, too. I mean, obviously, you know, J.K. Dobbins is a guy that some people are projecting into the first round – until I see a legitimate 40 time on him, I'm not quite ready to call him a first rounder, but I could easily see him going, you know, once again, in the early part of the second. Uh, there's a 
I mean, and, you know, there's a lot uh, that will happen with the offensive and defensive line. I mean, that's the thing that's sort of the – it may not be sexy any other time, but it's certainly sexy at the senior role when they start breaking down to one-on-ones. And those people, once again, can overreact to them because that's not how actual offensive and defensive line play works. Um, <laughs> it's not a series of – there shouldn't be a series of one-on-ones. Uh, if so, fire your – your O-line coach, because that's not what you should allow it to turn into five or however many one-on-ones. But um, but that's going to be uh, big, and I think some people are going to help themselves in that session and that, you know, in those sessions. And then um, I think this is an interesting tight end class. Not super talented, not super deep, but it is a really – I think there's some sort of good stuff in the middle rounds to be had. And I think at least one or two of those guys will probably distinguish themselves uh, and push themselves maybe up a little bit in people's estimation uh, during Senior Bowl. So there's a handful of guys that are of particular interest, I guess, uh, in my mind. And I'll be interested to see how how they, in in essence, perform with uh, what happens when they get their chance to to shine and – very much interested in some of the, you know, the quote-unquote smaller school kids. Uh, you know, Kyle Duggar, who's a terrific safety from Lenore Ryan, is a guy that I've been following for quite some time. And he'll get a chance to show his wares against, you know, all these guys from the, you know, the biggest and most prominent program in the country. Um, I think that, you know, it's always big for those kids, those kids who didn't come from, you know, the schools that everybody knows about and everybody talks about. Uh, and, of course, I think those kids play extra hard because of it. Those guys aren't thinking, oh, I might get hurt. You know, they're, they're thinking I get to play this right. kid from, you know, Texas or this kid from USC or this kid from where. Um, I'm excited about Kindle, uh, Kindle Builder, who is uh, another one of the – the defensive backs are, are, are of particular interest to me, I guess, obviously, all the time. But I'm really interested to see how some of these guys uh, show up and and uh, and handle, you know, playing quote unquote up as they like to say. Uh, so I'll be checking out uh, the safeties particularly because that's kind of my thing. Uh, but you know, I'll take a look at everybody. Uh, there is a Lamar Jackson there, but in this case, he is a cornerback from uh, from Nebraska. And it'll be a you know a big week for him as well. Uh, I'll be interested to see what you know what happens with um, Kane Jackson, and of course you've seen AJ Green. So I'll ask you for just a you know once again another guy who's got a uh, a, a namesake in the NFL, is a little more well known. But what have you seen of AJ Green in Oklahoma State, and what do you think of him? Um. I actually had a note on him. Okay. Um, I think I think what people like about him, I'm assuming that people like about A.J. Green, uh, you mentioned earlier how you guys don't have a lot of size in your, in your secondary. I think what right. some people like is, is his frame. You know, I think people like, I mean, everyone gets all excited about the quote-unquote Seattle corner, as they call them nowadays. Uh, there's always – anytime a corner is, you know, six one or up, um, anytime a corner is, 
so this this one is Alvin J. Green. He's a Dallas, uh, Texas kid. Uh, not Adriel Jer Adriel Jeremiah, I believe, is uh, a the a, the other A.J. Green that everyone's more familiar with. I believe his name is Adriel yeah. Jeremiah. But um, uh, the kid at Oklahoma State, uh, he's good in run support. Not that people care as much about that as they used to, uh, but he does clearly have some pretty good ball skills, and he's you know, he's, he is a, a bigger kid. You know, he's 6'1", he's 190-something, 191, 192 pounds. A whole yeah. right kid. Um, he's uh, been, an, been an all-Big 12 academic kid. Um, he did a pretty good job against Colin Johnson when he faced him. He faced him a couple times. Uh, the year prior, he did a pretty good job against David Sills uh, when he was playing um, against West Virginia. Um... And he hit the field pretty quickly. Um, I know he played some as a freshman, and then as a sophomore, he was he became a starter at Oklahoma State, and then obviously he's been a starter ever since. Right. You know, yeah, so that's a guy that, that. That's another guy, though, that uh, this AJ Green that has. Uh, just, Talk about C.D. Lamb, the amount of muscle that he had. Um, I made a note there on, on the screen. He came in at like 6'1", 155. And so mm. that's another guy that has busted his butt as far as, you know, weight room, works hard. Yeah. And for this conference, why you don't see, don't see a lot of guys that, that size in backfield because um, it's hard to win in this conference with everybody has followed that same model of smaller, faster defensive backs because of the offenses that you face. And so right. for him to be at the size, be 6'1", uh, 6'1 and a half, 190 pounds, and, and, and that athleticism he's shown so far, I, I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah, I I think he's going to make some money at the Senior Bowl. That's one of the guys I've sort of picked. Um, amongst the D-backs, the guys I think are going to make some money at the Senior Bowl. Him, that kid, he's saying Bassey from Wake Forest, he's going to make a little money. I think Darnie uh-huh. Holmes from UCLA is going to make some money. Those are the three guys amongst the defensive backs I think. I've circled. These guys are going to make some money. Um, amongst the linebackers slash defensive ends, Three, four outside linebacker types, we would call him. I think Carter Coughlin from Minnesota is going to surprise people with how good an athlete he is. Yeah, I know he's white, but the kid's actually a really good athlete. Don't be <laughs> fooled. Uh, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna beat some people, like just his pure quickness. Um, he's a good athlete. Watch out for Travis Gibson from Tulsa, speaking of Oklahoma. Um, that's another kid I'm much higher on than most people. I have a, I have a late third on Travis Gibson. He probably won't go that early, but I have a, a late third grade on him. Yeah. Have you seen him, uh, Travis Gibson? I'm trying to think of, because I actually went to Tulsa, and I'm looking through my notes to see who they played that day. Because I think I had him. I think you wear. If it helps you, I appreciate sure you. I think you, I tell you what. I think you wore. I wore number fifteen in college. That helps you. Sort of a weird number for a defensive end to wear, but he wore. I think he wore number fifteen. If that helps. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, I remember writing that name down and that number because I was thinking, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys in Tulsa that I would give it, make a thought to right now on that, on that roster, but, um, where is that? I wrote down Travis Gibson fifth round, and now I can't find the rest of what I wrote. <laughs> Here's what I will say about him. Uh, one is, I mean, there's no motor questions there. He's one of those guys that plays, you know, whistle to whistle, um, chases down plays, you know, that are going away from him on the other side of the field. Uh, he'll play on special teams and play well on special teams. He's he's one of those guys that I, I don't I'm not think I'm not seeing a future superstar, but he's going to play in the league for a while and he's going to be. I think his best sort of usage is as, as the other guy. Like, if you've got, um, you know, that elite pass rusher over on this side, you've got, you know, a Bosa or a, a Chris Dolman or, you know, whoever is the dominant guy, the guy everybody's worried about. The guy, he's the other one, the one that's on the right. the one you're single blocking. You're plotting everything that's like, and so he's not going to do everything, but he, the things he's going to do, one is he's strong at the point of attack. He's actually pretty good against the run. And then you add to the fact he's actually a good enough pass rusher that if you keep, if, if your right tackle keeps facing him all by himself, he's going to get beat a few times. And uh, right. so he's going to get a couple of sacks in there too. They might not be, you know, those wild sacks where he beats two or three people like, you know, Chris Dolman or Simeon Rice or whoever it is you've got on the, your main pass rusher, but he's going to be a really good other guy pass rusher. Right. Now, I'm just going to see like, remember Bryant. Anthony Spencer when he, when he went, remember Anthony Spencer went to the Cowboys to be the other guy on the other side from DeMarcus Lair? Yeah, right, right. That kind of guy. Yeah. I'm interested to see kind of what he really plays at, this kid, what Travis plays at. He, he looked a little small. Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I think he just did not look that big to me. No, I'm I'm hearing one that he has been that heavy, but he wasn't that heavy when you saw him, and he's never gonna not never. But my I know people who are around in his circle, and he's I think he's about twenty pounds, almost twenty whole pounds lighter than that is what I'm hearing. Right. So, yes, hopefully he gets invited to the combine. <laughs> Actually, I guess I could probably find his, uh, um, his official height and weight somewhere, but, but my guess is he's probably high 240s, low 250s, and part of that's, you know, so he can run fast. But also, I don't think he's played at that weight in a while. I think he'd gotten heavier when he was being used differently at one point, and then when he got back to getting to play more like a, a true pass rusher type, he, he slimmed back down is what my understanding is. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I think they played him some more inside the year before until he bulked up. And they just didn't, you know, update, I guess, or something. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I don't think he's I don't think he's been close to two sixty eight for a while. <laughs> but you know if he's two forty seven I'll 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 be I'll, I would think that's probably more in line. I'll I'll go back real quick to uh, the uh, running back from Ohio State because I did see him in person for one game, and 
Okay, well, tell me about it. Uh, I remember I was very thankful he didn't get more than six carries. <laughs> uh, it was when, when Oklahoma went in to, to Columbus and played him up there. Uh, you could I, – I remember, like, his first carry, I thought, this guy's going to give us problems. And for whatever reason, they went completely away from him. And like I said, I want to think he ended up with about six carries for around 45, 48 yards. And then he disappeared. And, um, you know, I, and I remember just, you know, being at that game, and I'm looking at, you know, the Ohio State side of things, and I'm looking at our side of things. And this was, you know, 2016 or 17. And, um, of course, I'm looking at Ohio State. I'm just like, man, their caliber athletes are just a different caliber than ours, really. <laughs> right, yeah. And and I'm looking at Dobbins, and I just remember thinking, wow, we just looking at him thinking we're we're not going to be able to stop this guy. And his first run, I just really um, – I'm very grateful that Kevin Wilson decided not to use him the rest of the game uh, because, <laughs> like, you, you could tell that was a guy that would give you problems. and. And I remember actually going to his Twitter after the game was over and just kind of reading his comments, you know, because some of the – you could tell he's very frustrated. And he, he actually made a yeah. couple of comments. He, he made a couple of comments that he went and deleted later. Um, but I really think that that's a guy – you know, we, we live in a quarterback-driven media when it comes to – in the media when it comes to football now, it's – you know, everything's quarterback. Um, yes. It's the reason why, you know, the Heisman Trophy is just, I mean, they're almost just naming a quarterback award uh, because that's, that's, that's the sexy position. That's the sexy place to play. But if in a different time, Dobbins would be given a whole lot more press and a lot more coverage, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah. I don't know, I... Physically, I like the way he's made. I feel like he's got great hips. He's got good center of gravity. He's got good vision. Um, I don't know. I, I feel there's there's a couple. Another guy. He, he, Go ahead. No, 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 please. I was gonna just comment on what you're saying with, about J.K. Dobbins. He he. There's a lot of sort of old school pissed off running back in the way he plays that you don't see quite right. as much nowadays. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean he's he's just like that's 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 a guy, that's a tough nosed guy in your football team that people kinda of gravitate to. That pissed off, you know, I'm here to prove everybody wrong type player. And when they go into situations yes. like this well, I think just as a senior ball, I think you're gonna see a lot of that. I think from from day one you're going to see a lot of people, like their comments are going to be directed about him. And then the only other guy I really can comment to, and that's, and I I can't say I know as much about him as as a lot of people, but uh, the quarterback from Oregon, um, the one thing that, yeah, yeah, his competitiveness attracted me to him. Mm. You know, I don't know as where he is as far as talent when it comes to a lot of other players, but when it comes, you know, Baker Mayfield really introduced me to the competitive side of a quarterback. And, like, I'm going to do this, 
because I want to be better than what you think I am. And I want to be right. better than you. I want to be better than what you think I am. I want to, I want to prove to you. And, you know, it really even just watching Oregon in the bowl game, there was times that years I'm thinking, you know, he's not the most talented quarterback I've ever seen, but my God, does he want to win? And and that really that really well, stands out to me. Everybody wants to win. No, I mean everybody wants to win at a certain point, but there's not everybody's willing to do everything it takes to win. That's it. And, yes. Huh. And that guy, I'll tell you. This so guy, it's funny. He's got, that, it's, he's got that old school. He's got that old school toughness about him. That it's just like, man, I know everybody says I can't make this throw or do this thing, but I'm going to do this thing to help my team win. Well, the thing I'll say about Justin Herbert, and he's a lot of people's second or third quarterback in this class. Um, There are people who said, you know, I like him better than I like Tua. And part of it is just sort of he, the whole looking the part thing, Tua is left-handed, Tua is, you know, not black, but he's beige, uh, and he's short. I mean, we'll see just how short, obviously, when he's finally measured. But he's going to, it's going to be a fight for him to make six feet tall. Now, that may not be quite, the deal breaker that it used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But there's still teams that don't love six-footers, that quarterback. Um, Herbert's a legit 6'6", and brilliant. Um, He graduated early. He's completed his master's degree already. He was a teaching assistant in mathematics um, in in the past summer. Amongst other things, this past summer, he was a teaching assistant in summer school in mathematics. I mean, how many future NFL quarterbacks can you can you think of that you could I mean, like you could say, oh yeah, he also was a teaching assistant at you know yeah. at his university in mathematics of all things. Um, so yes, big strong kid. I mean, he's not that different from Josh Allen. It's it's funny how hype works. You know what I mean? Um, I think right. Josh Allen sort of hit people's eyes later, and so they didn't pick him apart as thoroughly. While people have known about Justin Herbert since his sophomore year, and then he got hurt, and then, you know, came back and, you know, had a pretty strong close to his uh, junior and senior years. But, I mean, he's a legit 6'6". He has a very strong arm. He's a competitive kid. He's absolutely brilliant. He's going to crush. He's going to – I mean, for those who love the – the Wonderlick, he's going to kill it. He's going to be oh, yeah. somewhere in the 40s in the Wonderlick. I mean, he's going he's gonna, to – he may not quite catch Ryan Fitzpatrick, but he's going to be one of the higher scores. I can predict that. He'll have one of the highest scores in this draft class in the Wonderlick if that's something you care about. Um, yeah. The issues, I would say, with him – is he definitely can lock onto a primary, which you see a lot with him. He definitely can lock onto a primary and just be stubborn about it. You know, I mean, like we put it, just be flat out stubborn. Like I'm throwing the ball to this guy. Um, I think that's that's probably, if not his biggest, and one of his biggest issues. Um, I think his mechanics are mostly clean, but at times. Whether it be due to pressure, whether it be due to getting too excited about something he sees developing and he wants to rush to get the ball there, he has a strong, such a strong arm, he doesn't need to speed up his mechanics. 
And I think, yeah. you know, he needs to just be coached to realize you can make that throw without doing anything special. Your arm is – he and Jordan Love, um, the – you know, he's more of a raw uh, project type, but the, the Utah State quarterback, those two are, you know, the two strongest arms in the class. Um, I mean, Burrow has a, has a good enough arm. In fact, I mean, I should say good enough. It's a more than – he has more than enough arm. It's plenty – it's Matt Ryan. It's, I mean, it's in that – more is that solid NFL quarterback arm, um, but he's not. He doesn't wow you. Um, both Herbert and Love can make some wow throws, and obviously Tua, to a lesser extent, can even make wow throws. Uh, the but once again, I think we will overestimate the importance of the wow throw because how many of those do you, do you make? You know, in a season, let alone a game, where people go, oh, right. wow. You know, I mean, you know, I mean. Generally, those are only needed in very special situations. And, yes, it's cool when you have Aaron Rodgers, who maybe does it three or four times a year, and it gets replayed a million times, and, you know, it's at the ESPYs. But loads of quarterbacks go a whole season without ever making one of them and still win a lot of football games. You know, how many of those throws did, did Bob Greasy ever make in his whole career, and he has two Super Bowl rings? So you can um, – you're going to be a very successful NFL quarterback without doing super sexy things, I guess I'm saying. But those two are the two sexy guys. Um, um, sexy, but not ready to go the way Joe Burrow is. I guess what I say. Like Joe Burrow, his sexy is that you don't have to do as much. There's not as much to do. That's the sexy thing about Joe Burrow. Um, you just need to make sure, you know, hey, here's, here's what we do and how we do it, and you know he's going to figure it out. You know, you know that he's going to figure it out. Um, okay, so uh, any other guys I should mention before we close this sucker out? Why are you talking about my guy, Kyle Duggar, from, um, from Lenore Ryan? This is going to be huge for him. Okay, here's another guy who's going to make some money, Ashton Davis from Cal. He is going to make some money. Uh, the guy is a, a rare athlete, a guy who uh, his, he has some hurdle times that would qualify him for the Olympic trials. So he's that level of athlete. You don't see that kind of guy very often. Of course, Javon Kinlaw, Benito Jones, Neville Gallimore, you're talking about level. level. Nikki Fotu, um, I think he's – these are guys who mostly – here's a guy I think will make some money. Robert Windsor from Penn State. Remember, um, he's not quite this guy. I mean, I don't want to overstate it. I don't think he's quite as good, but he's similar. He's similar to this guy. Um, so I was talking about the other guy, pass rusher. So Chris Dolman, not his entire career, much, much of his career, had Keith um, Millard playing on the other side from him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember Keith Millard. Absolutely. That's who Robert, Robert Windsor reminds of Keith Millar. Big, oh, wow. powerful rusher, could, could play tackle, could play five technique, um, could play a, several different places along the line, but he's a big, strong, strong kid. Uh, lately, he's been a lot of for, for Daryl Taylor Jr. From, um, from Tennessee. I like him. I don't love him. Uh, Alton Robinson from Syracuse thinks he's going to have a very good day at the office. I think that sometimes he may get put on skates in the run game. That's what I've seen on tape, and I think it may happen in some of the 
run game stuff, but when they just let him rush the passer, which is really what is, you know, that's the life he wants to live. Um, I think Evan Weaver, who a lot of people assume is just sort of a try-hard guy, is going to show he's more than that. Uh, Francis Bernard, his tackling machine, I like him a lot from Utah. Uh, let's see. Who else? Who else do I like? Uh, Matt Hennessy from Temple is a tough guy. Uh, I think he'll get exposed in certain drills, but he'll make up for it. And the drills where he gets to just sort of smash people, he's going to do very well in those. Uh, Akeem Davis-Gaither is a kid from um, Appalachian State that some people have compared to, um, um, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking him. The guy that led the NFL in tackles from the, the Colts linebacker, um, a, a uh, ridiculous tackler. Um, I mean, this guy just has like 15 tackles every game, it seems. Um, he's not quite that, but he's close-ish. Um, Robert, Robert, his last name, whatever. He'll come back to me, but he's, he's a really good fun player. Um, Cameron Brown from Penn State, another guy with traits, as they say. He hasn't always, doesn't always show up, but he's got like talent. Zach Vaughn is a guy who does always show up. Uh, he should be fun and some interesting things to, you know, come from him. Um, Trey Adams, I think, will make some money. He's got good feet. And he's super tall, so occasionally guys just, just get under his pads and kind of move him around. He's a guy that probably needs to learn to anchor better. Prince Tega Wanago from uh, Auburn's going to make some money. He's one of the guys who, who looks like he could possibly be an, be an NFL um, left tackle. And if you look like you might be an NFL left tackle, you money will come your way. You don't even have to really be one. Just look like one. The <laughs> quarterbacks are sort of an interesting group. I mean, I've seen guys get paid for looking like they could possibly be an NFL left tackle. Um, and, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm half kidding. I think he actually can do it. But there's some guys who literally just look like it and have gotten paid off of that. You know, because they've got links and what, their tape is not good. But they, they got feet, they got links, and people get excited. Um, like that kid, um, the kid that came over from England, and the Raiders took him out of the first round out of Florida State, um, who, Menelik, Menelik Watson, he just looked like yeah. a tackle. He wasn't. He, not really. He just looked like one. <laughs> but he got him paid. Um, moving forward, Shay uh, Patterson, I, I, I've been very critical of him in the past. I will say this, he's improved. I still just see a career backup in him, but um, he should be interesting. Steven Montez is one of those guys that I saw him as a, as a, you know, as a freshman and as a sophomore. And by about midway through his sophomore year, I would have said, this guy's a future first-rounder. Well, I'm wrong. He's not. Um, he will be a guy who will be fast at day three. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was just sort of the, the team around him didn't get better. It seemed like he got worse at some things, too. I don't know. He's an interesting – he's a conundrum. We talked about Jalen. Uh, Justin Herbert we talked about. Uh, we didn't talk about Anthony Gordon or Jordan Love. Now, Jordan Love um, is a guy that I had – I mean, once again, I was the one to throw out the hashtag all you need is love. Um, he was my QB1 coming into the season, and then he did not have the year I was expecting. Um, so. He did manage to graduate in four years, so he's, so he's 
eligible to play as a redshirt junior, but um, he did not have the year that, he, that I or, or most of the people were expecting. I kind of hoped they decide to be a grad transfer, but he's he's not so he's you know he did graduate. He's eligible to be here at the Senior Bowl. He will be relentlessly studied at the Senior Bowl, and and he, he has once again he's, he has what the term they use in baseball is easy gas. That's him. That's he's easy gas all day. He does not need to you know load up to throw a ball 60, 65 yards. I mean he can just go through his normal motion and it's you know um, Matt Stafford like power in terms of ability to throw. Um, maybe the strongest arm in the whole class and probably not far behind him is Justin Herbert. But the guy I haven't talked about who's gonna, I think has the most to gain maybe with not named who's not named Jalen Hurts amongst the quarterbacks who's the most to gain is Anthony Gordon from Washington State, another you know, another leech quarterback. And some people do not mean that as a compliment when they call you a Mike quarterback. Um, and admittedly, you know, the, the Hall of Fame, at least at the NFL level, is not full of Mike Leach quarterbacks, but the world is changing. Uh, I think that Anthony Gordon, once again, is probably a career backup, but he could conceivably, I think, start in the right situation. I think he's going to help his cause, uh, or has a chance to help his cause quite a bit during this week. I really am a big fan of Kashawn Vaughn, about the running back. I like Michael Pirine, though I think he's, a little, you know, sort of classic straight line slam is a thing kind of running back, but but not bad. Uh, Jermichael Hasty is a interesting guy. He's played a few different positions in his collegiate career, um, but he's just listed as a running back here. Darius Anderson, sort of a classic NFL third down back. Eno Benjamin, I think, has a chance to be special-ish. Here's a guy who I think has a real chance to help himself. Antonio Gibson is a you know, people use terms like Swiss Army Knife and Joker or whatever. I think he could play a couple of different wide receiver positions as well as running back and be your wildcat, you know, whatever they call it, uh, the guy that takes direct snaps. And he can, you know, maybe even hit the occasional jump pass, but he's a dynamic athlete. I think he's going to help himself. Adam Troutman is a former quarterback, converted to tight end from uh, Dayton. He reminds me of Jay Ramirez and I. I know I'm old as heck, but. Go, go look him up. He went to Michigan as a quarterback. Um, he outgrew the position, moved to tight end, and had a nice little career with uh, most of the Bills. Um, but my favorite, and I think I might have talked Jim Nagy into this guy. I'm, I'm giving myself too much credit. But early on, when I first started tweeting at him, he was talking about Troutman, and he knew I was a small school guy, so he asked me a little bit about him. I was like, yeah, I like him, but my favorite tight end in the FCS is not – Adam Troutman, it's this kid at Portland State, Charlie Chambapo. Now, if I would have found Charlie Chambapo without my help, but I think he's the most complete tight end amongst the small school tight ends. He's not the freak that Troutman is. He's not six foot six. He's not. He doesn't. He isn't amazing after the catch, but he runs really good routes. He can block. Um, he understands the game at a high level, and I think he could be a big week for him. I think Jared Pickney's going to help himself. And I must first make it clear that I am not at all – this one last item I'm going to talk about. I cannot be at all objective about him, so I'm going to announce it now. A former student of mine – once again, old attack – but a former student of mine, Brad Hopkins, uh, who I had in class, Theater 263, uh, back years in Illinois, has a son. Now, Brad himself played in the league for something like 15 years, something like that. 
with the Tennessee Titans, although the Oilers, the Oilers when he first went to them, and then later they became the Titans. But Brad is now a uh, radio personality in the Nashville area, but uh, his son, Bryson Hopkins, is a very good tight end. Uh, he's always been in my top three or four. He's bounced around. He's, he was my tight end one at one point. I think Harrison Bryant might be my tight I don't know. We'll, I'm still – this is – the senior bowl and, and combine will help me with my tight ends. Um, I've struggled with the tight ends this year. I'm a huge fan of most of the wide receivers, actually. I like James Roche. I, lo- I love Michael Pittman, Jr. Once again, feeling old because I watched his, his father at Arizona State and obviously in the NFL. Denzel Mims is a guy I really like. Colin Johnson I'm coming around on. I used to be kind of down on it, but now, okay, yeah, I see what people are talking about. Uh, Jawan Jennings. Uh, is good. Van Jefferson, now he's, Van Jefferson so he needs to come to flavor of the month. I'm not quite as high as some are on him, but I do like him. K.J. Hill, another guy who's going to be an NFL slot receiver probably for many years. Antonio Gandy-Golan is a guy who helps up a lot. Um, big kid from Liberty. Uh, if he can show he's not a possession receiver, but he's an actually guy that can, you know, run away from people who are playing at a high level and, you know, from big schools that will help him. Brian Edwards is a guy who in, in some other years would be in the top three or four in the wide receiver class. He's a really deep class. He's probably more like, you know, in the eight to ten range, but he's really good. Devin Duvernay. Speaking of uh, tough guy wide receivers, man, the Big 12, I mean, it's a good, it's a tight race, right? I mean, obviously we talk about C.D. Lamb, but Devin Duvernay, that's a tough guy, man. I've seen him truck people. I've seen him. You know, maybe that, maybe he doesn't enjoy blocking quite as much as your guy does, but he's a super effective blocker. I've seen him put some people put some people on their backs in the blo- as a blocker downfield. Um, Devin Duvernay is super fun to watch, and but my favorite amongst this group, and this is not because he's the best player, he's just my favorite to watch. You know, I can separate the two. Um, he's nowhere near. He's not my top receiver, but I love watching him. Brandon Ayuk. And I think he might initially make his, his money as a receiver, as a return man, sorry. He is a dynamic return specialist. Uh, he can return punts, he can return kickoffs. He's like a supersized golden tape in that he's like 6'1 and 203 pounds. Well, we'll see if he's actually 6'1. But, um, he's, but he's, he's, I believe he's legitimate at least, at least over six feet. And, you know, but Golden Tate-like in terms of his quickness and explosiveness, and he might even be faster in a straight line than Golden Tate. I think he's going to have a heck of a career. I'm not super excited about Courtney Davis from uh, Texas A&M. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, he sort of felt like a drop-off to me from the other. No offense. Uh, and maybe he'll have an amazing week and I'll let him idiot. But I felt like there was a bit of a drop-off from the other, the other wide receivers to him. But it's a great wide receiver group. That's the, clearly the strongest group of the senior bowl is the, is the receivers. There's a lot of guys who are going to play a long time in the NFL on that, that bunch. Uh, any final thoughts as we get ready to roll out? None for me. Okay, well that'll do then. Um, we went a little long. What the heck? We haven't I miss this man. I haven't talked to him in super long. Uh, so, things that are coming up in the future. Um, I'm going to have a bunch of kids who were participating in the Shrine Game on as guests uh, next week. 
and talking about their Shrine Game experience. And I'm hoping one or two of them will get the call to the Senior Bowl. Uh, so maybe they won't be available, but but I'm, I'll be fine with that if a couple of the kids that I I, I guess I'll call them kids, young men, uh, who I think deserve to play it in the in the you know in the senior world, get to call up a date, and I haven't talked to them another time. That's fine with me. Um, we'll do the combine preview next time too because we've you know gone long, but it's been great. So I'm going to ask this this man, Nolan Lake, to. Take some of his thoughts and ideas, particularly from the, the, some of the Oklahoma prospects we discussed, and send them to, to me in written form because I'm going to be formulating some stuff, and I'll be using it to, to create an article that will be published in Nothing Bulk Sports. Um, I'm also doing some things around, like, HBCU. I mean, I'm doing much stuff. It's a big time of year. Um, but I'd love to have somebody with a really great insight into that program. And I really do believe that a couple of the guys from this Oklahoma class are guys we're going to be talking about, you know, 10, 12 years from now, you know, after these guys have been to, you know, a bunch of Pro Bowls and have been multiple All-Pros. I think a couple of the guys from this particular Oklahoma class of, of prospects are going to be pretty special. So, it's an exciting time, um, as we said. Once again, Nolan, uh, can you tell people who might be interested in knowing more about you or following you or whatever where they can uh, find you and follow you on whatever social media you might have, sir? Okay. I am on Twitter at MJ Lake. I am on Instagram and also on Facebook. And also um, I have Snapchat now, and so um, – from here oh, on, I'll do it all, baby. So <laughs> you do. <laughs> so I stay, I stay pretty active, and uh, of course, my own kids' sports, but um, baseball and yep. baseball, basketball, football, I, I follow it all, and um, so yeah, I'm a lot of fun. Yes, yes, you are, and um, I definitely when we get towards the like pro days. Um, let me know if you need help getting credentials because I can probably help you get credentialed. Um, if you decide to to cover some pro days, I can help you out on the credential end. So we'll talk more about that later when we don't need to involve our audience. But what, as always, it's a, an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. It's 2020, dude. You and I are going to work more closely together. We've been talking about it for, oh, I don't know, 10 years. But now it's going to happen. Yeah. So, um, I'm super excited about that also. And uh, yeah. once again, I, I hope that you, your 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 various progeny, um, kids you've either actually given birth to or just helped to bring along, I hope to continue to see you know, more about them as they you know, continue to develop as well. Thank you so much. So everybody, um, no, uh, Nolan, a.k.a. NJ Lake, uh, is someone, especially if, you're, if you like Oklahoma-based, uh, football and, and stuff like that. He is a must-follow. Uh, he has his pulse really on the Big 12 as a whole, but obviously with a focus on Oklahoma. Thank you so much, sir. Um, this is not the, this is, you're not released. I mean, obviously for tonight you are, but there, there, I'm going to ask more of you in the future, and I look forward, like I said, to working more closely together as we go into 2020. Same. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, those who have followed and listened and commented and whatever on what I've been doing for the low these many years, um, know that, you know, I appreciate uh, that you somehow find time to listen to my rambling. 
um, a few hundred of you at least, and maybe somehow have managed to commit to doing that for reasons I'm not entirely sure I understand. But I do thank you so much for doing that. And like I said, uh, we'll keep doing it because uh, you seem to enjoy it. And I look forward to what the future brings. Thank you so much for your time, your talents, your attention. Thank you again, Nolan Lake, and good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.